The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? This is Young Lion King Carl Fredericks, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is Keeping It Strong Style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's, on today's show, we will be airing our interview with the Young Lion King, Carl Fredericks, answering your questions and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prostlingtees.com slash social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. This week's episode is brought to you by NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWWorld.com with features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and shared playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. Visit NJPWEXT.US today for details. Young boy, how you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm just, uh, you know living life uh you know social distance life <laughs> yeah you're in the uh the parts unknown studio once again this week yeah i'm uh yep calling in remote here um i don't know i, I wish i had a funny antidote or something uh, <laughs> funny to say but, <laughs> you're you're, uh, you're, yeah. you're pulling a rock uh early 2000s uh coming in via satellite did he used to do that a lot I feel like he did, like when he started doing like, you know, Scorpion King started doing all these like Hollywood movies, like he would like, it would always like have him like come in like via satellite. I don't know. I, I must not have been watching. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anyway, so, you know, last week we had our um, AEW versus NJBW fantasy cards. We did our cards on the show last week. Then this past Saturday, Amy and Floyd revealed their cards so, uh, you know, giving you guys a few days to listen to that. And so tomorrow sometime on the Social Suplex Twitter, at Social Suplex, we're going to put up a little uh, Twitter poll for you guys to cast your votes on who had the best AEW versus NJPW fantasy card. Yeah, I uh, I listened to their episode um, this weekend, and I was uh, thoroughly surprised and amused at the cards that they came <laughs> up with, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think Rich and James like decided to do it too. Yeah, just for um, yeah, just for fun. They they're not entering the competition, but they decided just to do it for fun. So, 
Yeah, that, that those are non-sanctioned. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those are not approved by the uh, the social suplex uh, federation. Those were those were, those were light, lights out cards. They uh, <laughs> are not on the official record. Uh, they weren't. They were, there was no governing body, you know. Right. Uh, exactly. The, IW, the IWGP did not sanction those. Exactly. Tony Khan and the IWGP came together. They sanctioned, you know, Kisses cards, aid uh, all things elites cards. They did not sanction One Nation Radio. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, <laughs> you know, I, I thought it was interesting, you know, just uh, there was a big part of me that was a little hesitant to kind of do those cards because I was just like, you know, I love AEW. Um, obviously, we, we were very passionate about New Japan. I didn't like want anything to get twisted about what the intent of it was, but I actually really ended up enjoying doing it, even though I was bemoaning how much I hated it. Uh, you know, last week and everything of that nature. Once once we got done with it, I was like, this is pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't too bad. And, uh, and at the end, like, you know, I know that mine had to be kind of good because uh, Rich, like, in the group messenger was like, he's like, I popped when you said Kenny came out. <laughs> yeah, dude, dude, you won Rich over right there. <laughs> he was like, like, I will not be ignored. You will face me. <laughs> <laughs> So that's that's great. So yeah, we'll be posting the the finalized cards from all uh, four participants on Social Suplex Twitter tomorrow. You guys can vote on that, and you know, we'll come back and let you guys know the results and who had the best card. Um, you know, I, I was thinking about it, and I kind of think for me, what ended up happening there was like I booked my first card not to be like the ultimate AEW New Japan card, but like the kickoff to like a long-standing like. Uh, storyline between the two two companies if that makes sense that's, that's exactly what i was thinking like i could have easily you know done all these like dream matches you know 10 single dream match but i'm like no it's like the first kind of like kickoff in the series that would lead right. to like more pay-per-views down the road and then you save like the bigger dream matches for like the, like the coming to the end of the series you know I, I was very much like uh inspired by like the uwf uh, New Japan series back in like the 90s and stuff in the 80s stuff like that mm. but um yeah I I really enjoyed uh what uh Floyd and Amy's cards were I thought that they were very entertaining um my only they were just a little too AEW heavy for me <laughs> you know a, li- a little bit too much but I, they're biased I get it yeah and on, on their end, they said we booked like some Wrestle Kingdom style cards. So clearly, the New Japan show books a more New Japan style show. The AEW show books a more AEW style show. I thought our our shows were pretty similar to in in style and tone to like the uh, G One Super Card. Yeah, very similar to like that. So I, I wouldn't go quite. I mean, I wouldn't say they're Wrestle Kingdom, but like maybe Dominion level. Definitely. So, yeah, make sure you guys check that out. If you haven't heard Floyd and Amy's card right here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, tune into All Things Elite. That episode aired this past Saturday. And um, like you heard in the intro, we do have an interview to air for you guys. Today we have the Young Lion King, Carl Fredericks. Man, this is a, a very fun interview. Yeah, I mean, what can we say about the guy? Salt of the earth. <laughs> No, actually, we uh, we we didn't know what to expect. You know, Um, we obviously, if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know how big we are on the Young Lions, uh, how we highlight them very heavily on this show. And we ever ever since Carl Fredericks like showed up on the scene, 
Um, we've just been completely enamored with this guy, you know, his work, his look, everything of that nature. I mean, give this guy a couple years. And I, I bet you he's going to be uh, rate, rating pretty high on the, uh, the Bret Hart scale. Cause he's already up there and yeah, you know, seriously. He's, he's a rookie. Right. So, um, but the thing that we don't get to see enough of, which just shocked me is his like, um, talking ability. Like now granted doing, doing a podcast is a far cry from promo work, obviously, but man, one of the best like interviews we've ever done. Like this guy has a lot to say and like, he's super like well-spoken, intelligent, funny, like, you know, everything he said was uh, very insightful and relevant. And like, I was just thoroughly impressed. And I thought we, I thought, I thought it was really great. Right. And you know, with wrestlers, especially ones that we don't talk to, have any kind of relationship with, it's kind of hard when we start talking, you never know if they're going to be kind of more reserved, kind of quiet and, you never know how it's going to go, but I mean, every interview we've done, like the wrestlers open up to us and we have, you know, great conversations. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed our, our talk with Carl and I hope you guys will enjoy it too. So we're going to throw that interview right now and then we'll be back to cover news and questions. All right. Thank you for listening to keeping a strong style. Jeremy Dobbin here with the young boy, Josh Smith. And we have a very special guest with us here today. We have the 2019 young lion cup winner, Carl Fredericks. Carl, how you doing, man? I'm doing, doing all right, man. How you guys doing? Good, man. Uh, I'm doing well. I'm, I'm, we're super excited to have you on the show. I feel almost embarrassed that my nickname is the young boy right now. <laughs> <laughs> we, we have, we have a, a real young boy now. <laughs> I'm, I'm, the, I'm the young boy king, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we bow down to you, sir. <laughs> And, uh, you know, before we kind of jump into your career and your time in New Japan, just want to know, like, how are you doing right now during the whole, you know, COVID-19 uh, pandemic? And, you know, what are you doing to pass the time and, you know, stay in shape? I'm not going to lie, man. It's been it's been a little bit of a struggle on that end. I when I got back to L.A. It was like two days after a day or two after we banned travel from the United Kingdom. And I was traveling back a little bit earlier than scheduled, but I was supposed to come back anyways, because at that point the Tampa shows are still going. And, uh, I got back to LA and just like, we kind of were already immediately doing like the, you know, the social distancing thing. Like we, other than, you know, going grocery shopping and stuff, we weren't, you know, we didn't go to any bars. We weren't doing anything. We were trying to do that, but we had the dojo still. And then, and which is, you know, fine and safe. Cause I don't even think, there might be 10 of us total if the entire staff is there and us. So it's easy. It's not like going to a regular gym, you know, if we're all, none of us, you know, we're all feeling fine to go to the dojo. So we're still getting great workouts in ring work. And then they kind of cracked down on that in LA. <laughs> and <laughs> now we're in the garage and it's, it's, I'm, I'm figuring out real, really easy and quick where my motivation is when it comes to like habits. I just have to like, really really force myself to do cardio or something lifting's fine easy but still can't get a full workout in anyways we just brought some dumbbells home you know but mm. doing all right yes yeah, yeah we 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 always um joke about how our apartment is called the uh where we record that that's our our dojo but uh yeah <laughs> it's, it's not getting much use these days so maybe you guys should come out with like a uh you know, like a LA dojo, like home workout routine. You guys post online and, you know, all, all the new Japan fans can try to stay fit together. <laughs> I 
I think, uh, I mean, I, I like when the, the rest of the other wrestlers, outside wrestlers come in and learn what it's like to work out in the dojo. Cause you do the camps and, you know, things like that. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, I might be, might be a little twisted for saying that, but you know, I'm it's more so just proud of the, the type of stuff that we do on a daily basis or, you know, for months on end and people come into camps, wrestlers, you know, athletes, Mm-hmm. Uh, come into the camps and get just they and they still get a very small taste of what an actual day is like for us, but just immediately seeing the the difference just it just in our conditioning we can just even stick on that you know um, how much trouble they have with that I do like to see that especially because a lot of them by the end of, by the end of the camp they will you'll just see like their their will and their heart improve you know their busting their ass to the workouts and not really showing like any type of like pain or weakness you know that they're like channeling that into a a stronger place um but i don't i don't know if we could do that to the fans i don't think (laughs) (laughs) it's it's funny that that reminds me so um uh, i amateur wrestled uh, all four years in high school here in tampa and you know, every wrestling season, you know, we always have the football players, you know, talking smack and being like, oh, yeah, we could easily do you guys like routines and workouts. And like we'd always have like a bunch of football players come. And at the end of the week, there'd be like oh, one or two. It's a different world, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, be... it's a different world. And oh, yeah, I can one imagine, or... especially the bigger guys. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. You know, those big linebacker guys like at the end, it's pretty much yeah. the smaller guys that are left. Maybe like the quarterbacks or like the kickers are the only ones that are kind of hanging oh, in for there. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've, I've done both. Um, you know, I was a football player up through college even, and I wrestled, in, you know, up like through middle school and I played basketball in high school. And then now, you know, all I'm doing is the amateur wrestling training and kick me now, like kickboxing and stuff like that. So it's just a completely different type of cardio. But mm. I know, you know, at least by the time I got into high school, like there's no way you can just go and even just spar, you know, like a five minutes, like go spar for five minutes or something. Go grab for five minutes. Just, yeah. Yeah. On top of, you know, you guys, are, you're doing your conditioning and then you have to train, which is the, the sparring. <laughs> like, yeah, so like, it's all, it's all just conditioning. It's just rough. Man. Well, we definitely want to get more insight, you know, to your experience in, in the LA dojo and everything of that nature for sure. But, you know, before, before we move on, you know, we'd be remiss to kind of talk about this subject. So we, we mentioned, you know, uh, you know, obviously, with the current situation with the COVID-19 outbreak, things are kind of um, on hiatus. Initially, um, New Japan was one of the first or like was one of the last companies in Japan to kind of call it quits. And then very recently, some of the smaller companies like DDT and Stardom, things like that, they're starting to run again. There was some anticipation for fans hoping maybe we'd get, you know, a secure Genesis or something. Obviously, it just came out with the release that things aren't moving forward until at least mid-April. Obviously, no one knows when this is going to end. But, you know, what challenges do you see this kind of um, presenting to the company? And, you know, basically, how do you think that they're going to kind of handle this transition once things do get popping again? Um, I mean, it's not my my answer as far as, you know, what it's going to do to the company. is just uh, not from any point of actual personal knowledge more so just right. what anybody else can speculate you know it's, it's business it's a business so you, i'm at i mean just on the simple principle of a business and it has employees and you know thank god like you know they're taking care of us and 
they're paying their employees, but the, you know, the, you know, the income isn't there for an extended period of time. You know, it's going to be, it's about two, it's two months for us now. Um, or by, you know, maybe by the end of April, the whole thing will be about two months, no shows. So that's two months, not the income. And then, you know, there's some big shows in those couple of months, uh, anniversary, everything, the, the whole cup. Um, so I just, just on simple, you know, do the math, money in, money out. Like it's, it can't be a, a good thing. Um, but I'm sure once, you know, I, I firmly believe that everyone, everyone that's in, in on all levels are preparing and ready for whenever it is time to get back to work and that it's going to be amazing. And I know everybody's, you know, of course the workers are ready to get back and going. And <laughs> I think, I think as a whole, I think, I think it's going to be really cool to see the entire business, how everybody rebounds and that it might kind of breathe like a new life into every single, you know, from the smallest to the top level promotion. Mm. So hopefully, hopefully once it's all settled, everyone comes out, everyone's doing all right and ready to get back to business and everyone has like kind of a more positive outlook, you know, with the just absolutely being, you know, you look at just all the things we take for granted for, for me, it was obvious, you know, it's obviously work and everything, but like, I mean, I'm, ex I'm just a happy person all around, you know, I'm always happy that like I get to do this, this is my career and it's insane. But then just like, simple stuff, just watching other people do things that, you know, music performances, just teach us anything. Like it's, we have, it feels like we have nothing right now, you know, and it's just kind of strange. Yeah, mm. def definitely. No, yeah. We've been getting a little bit of some empty arenas shows, but it's just not the same. And I'm really looking forward yeah. to, you know, when you guys come back, I feel like you guys are going to be like just hitting the, hitting the ground, hard, running hard. And it's, it's going to be a lot of excitement. Yeah, I, I, I can, I, I feel like it's going to be something like that. Like I think everyone's, Especially, I would imagine the bigger promotions. All everybody is going to kind of come out of this with like a, a the same, I guess, somewhat of a chip on their shoulder, right? In the sense that, like, okay, like you know, like back to business, but no bullshit. Exactly. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, now we want to, you know, let's focus in a little bit on you. And I'm curious, you know, when did you start becoming a professional wrestling fan? Um, I guess the like the earliest age, I would say around six or seven. Um, it was WCW. Uh, I had always been aware, uh, known, you know, Hogan, Macho Man, uh, Roddy Piper because of my mom, things like that, and known of professional wrestling. But I had seen like I didn't want to say the Sting on TV first, mm. and just the NWO, and it was between that and then you know, so everyone says it's, I didn't understand it was that phenomenal at the time. I just thought the cruiserweights were cool because I was. Seven, so <laughs> like I'm little, you know, I'm little. I thought I was gonna grow up to be like Rey Mysterio size, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's so like the, just the like the the I just love seeing the flips, and they also had a really good because of all the cultures that they had. You know, they had Japanese wrestlers, uh, Mexican wrestlers, just everything, and the costumes. So it was different. Like you watch WWE, and you see Doink and like. <laughs> but, but you know why and then but you see like ultimate i remember like ultimate dragon was like one of the first guys or he's like psychosis and just everybody all the characters and but they weren't like these corny they were they're wild characters but they weren't like it didn't seem like this cheesy stuff because you could tell that it was now as a as a wrestler who's you know hoping to put my culture into my 
work as well at some point like you can see that it's just done out of a place of respect and it's nothing yeah. silly it's not a it's not a parody of anything you know um so if you if you're able to do that and that comes from a real place then the guy you know in a dragon suit and like you don't bat an eye you don't think about it it's just cool and you respect it like that has to be very authentic in order to do so so like mm. as an adult i realize that's why i feel like connected with it probably the most just that diversity yeah but uh yeah i remember like the first thing i saw like i because i had never seen Hogan again he was Hulk hogan in black and like <laughs> the nwo like 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 scott again i didn't know who i didn't know razor ramon um but i thought scott hall was just so cool like him and him and big sexy were just so cool like <laughs> yeah so probably like seven nice nice and you know you, you brought up uh uh, Doink there. I will say, Doink became a parody, but, but that early 93 Matt Bloom work is actually underrated. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, uh, what was, uh, oh, it was the, the FCW documentary when they were, did you guys check that out? Yeah, I did, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah so he, 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 that's him that's featured in there, right? For a little bit. Uh, it, what, it's actually or, or one, one of the Doink. Yeah, Steve, so it's it like, like the second so guy. I, yeah, so like I I went down a little YouTube wormhole like <laughs> that, was, that was a few weeks ago I was in Japan still. So. But if you if you ever want a recommendation, uh, believe it or not, Doink versus Marty Jannetty from Raw in '93 is like a two out of three balls match. Who would have thought? <laughs> kind of a classic. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, classic Doink and Marty Jannetty match that everybody knows about. <laughs> but um, Damn. you definitely brought up a really good point there. You know. Um, WCW was obviously a much more realistic product, especially in like 96, 97, as opposed to the cartoonish WWE. Yeah. But, um, with, with that being said, there's nothing more realistic, you know, on the spectrum for most people than new Japan. So, I mean, you're working for them now. What was like your first exposure? How did you, you know, were you a fan and, you know, how did you kind of come around to being aware of new Japan? I've always known of it even before you know my early wrestling days when i was a kid or growing up i'd buy not buy every magazine and that was back when there was three companies and there was actually a magazine for all like world of wrestling was like one, like one of the thickest magazines I've ever purchased i think mm. um and they always had the coolest covers I, I remember that like the wow logo was always like shiny and like super cool yeah. but, uh, <laughs> so like i'd always seen it and i, I can always remember just being a kid and thinking that it was strange that you know because the 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 um the corner pads look like boxing a boxing ring so i always thought that was weird like it just stuck out in my mind and then the blue mat the blue mats always stuck out in my mind and i've always known that that was new japan and then uh watching wcw and jushin thunder liger so you know that was probably the first i would say that i can remember and then as I, I, again just like you, i've seen you see stuff all over the internet you know we have the internet right now you know you know wrestling fan my whole life but the first match i watched was that first kenny omega and okada match yes mm. was that 2000 like it was like 2016 right? yeah so i at that point i was only one year into my training i'd been wrestling for one year so for me i like I just remember watching that, and then I start, you know, I was, of course, like Jericho goes over, so of course I tune into that, and I start paying attention to more things. 
because everything that I saw, I was just like, like, fuck, like this, like, how, how are they doing this? Like, <laughs> just, just, you know, I, I had never, it's like, it's like the first time you watch like, like a really good boxing match or a really good MMA, like you, you get it, you know, it's fighting, whatever, but then you, you see something done so well at this level and it's exciting. You know, that's what, you know, pro wrestling is. It's the, the marriage of the two. So, uh, yeah, so I just remember that, and then I knew immediately my, <clears throat> oh my, you know, my like tryout camp that I went to, uh, that it was it was real. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> everything everything about it is is just real, and it comes from a very real place. And I just I see wrestling different now. I I feel it. I I obviously rest. I do it differently now, and I'm so. And I, and I love everything. I love comedy wrestling. I love like I. I'm a flavors of ice cream as far as my philosophy goes. And I do, I do like just about all of it, but I just, I, if I hadn't come here, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be thinking and feeling the way I do about wrestling. And I'm so happy that I did because I know for the type of athlete I am, the type of stuff I want to do, especially now that I wouldn't be able to, to learn it and do it anywhere else and mm. really like perfect it. And, and at this point now become what I want to, what I, you know, what I'm envision myself to be. So that's, that's awesome, man. That's where we start. Was that, was that, that was my first. Yeah. Sorry. I, if you haven't, if you can't tell by now, I'm, I'm long winded. So I know we, oh, no, we, we love, love it, man. It. We, we love that. We, as much as oh, you want to talk, like we're all about it. <laughs> um, so all yeah. right, well, I only, I only, I only got to around uh, five o'clock cause I got to watch uh, Reno scum and rascals on, on impact. <laughs> nice, yeah. We'll get you out before then. So, um, also, you grew up, you know, being a wrestling fan. You're a hardcore wrestling fan. You're you're watching WCW. You're getting magazines. So, at what point did you decide, like, hey, I'm going to do this wrestling thing. I want to be a wrestler. And where did you start training? My first, like, I, when I growing up. So, by the time I switched over to WWF, uh, like 1999, I believe. Somewhere around there, ninety eight, ninety nine. So um, that's when you're like, I, w- I want to do this wrestling thing. Yeah, so uh, so that's when I started watching WWF, and then immediately like Kane, Jeff Hardy, and The Rock were my favorite. Jeff Hardy over everybody. Um, and WrestleMania seventeen, that was my first WrestleMania, was the first pay per view that I like I had to save up all this stupid chore money for. You know, when you're ten, like fifty bucks is like a million dollars, and. Uh, WrestleMania 17, like every just every that whole show, that was kind of like I'd never like I'd never I'd been playing every sport under the sun. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm like all of 10 years old, but I just I'd never felt like the thrills that I did, and that was like the like you know I start in my head dreaming and thinking of things as you know walking around like I'm a wrestler, just stupid stuff, <laughs> a silly kid, and then <clears throat> when I decided like I'm for sure going to pursue it give it a shot was around 2013 and I still had a couple of years left in college. And at that point I, I think I had like one year of football eligibility, eligibility left. And, uh, I was just like trying to think like, should I just transfer like some shitty school somewhere and like try and play some more football? Like I was just missing being an athlete. And I finally, I'd been serious in the gym for a few years and had start to like, like a, I, mean, I was a late, a late bloomer, I guess, like mature as a, as an athlete. And I just 
was craving like that challenge. I was doing music. I was like playing music in bands as well. So I've always had like the inclination for entertainment. And then I read on the Ross report, Jim, and this is back when it was just a blog, I think. Um, yeah, uh, the Ross report, just a big write up he had on Storm Academy, and which you you know are just like tools you need. You need to be you need to be a professional wrestler, and and then it just like clicked in my head like yeah, like why? Because I'd never left it. I stopped watching for a little bit, but I would always pay attention here and there, and I've I've always grown interest, ever always had interested, and was never shy to let people know that oh I love you know I love wrestling I love pro wrestling blah blah. blah. And then yeah, it just like clicked in my head. 2013, I was I was like I need I don't feel happy or like I'm chasing what I really want to. And then I finished college in January or in May of 2015, so two years later, and I started training in January of 2015. So nice. at that point, I was it had been two years where I was you know I was literally moving about the world, going to the gym, and with the thought in my head that like I'm gonna go to wrestling school once I graduate. And then I found a school my last semester just by chance because another classmate of mine would always see me in wrestling shirts and especially like in um the, his that class specifically. I'd see him at the gym all the time on campus, but I would wear an Austin three sixteen shirt to every test no matter what class it was. That was like my <laughs> that was like my lucky shirt. I, and, and there's nothing it wasn't like an old shirt or anything like that. I'm just an idiot and decided that was gonna be my lucky that was gonna be my testing shirt. Yeah. Um, so he just like stayed back late after class one day. I was talking to the professor, then I'd stepped out and he asked he introduced himself and asked if I was interested in actually becoming a pro wrestler. He sees me in the gym, he sees me in the wrestling shirts and I was like, funny you should ask. Like I I do want to be a pro wrestler. Because uh, he, he said that it was rare that ever, anyone ever actually did want to be, because they had actually started a pro wrestling club on campus. So we were like san- a sanctioned club. Oh wow! And <laughs> wrestling training, yeah. So it was it was a club sport at the University of Nevada. <laughs> what? So, like, wow, that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> and that's just, that's that was me too. So um, yeah, so I was my training from January till May was paid for by the university because it was a club sport. Wow. <laughs> so was, yeah, so that was great. And then I also, in April of that year, I had my debut show in front of like seven or 800 people in the student union. Like we did a big, um, it was a fun, because we were, since we were a club sport, we need a, a philanthropy event. So we did it for like the Northern Nevada Children's Cancer Foundation. And we packed it with like 800 people. And I went over in the main event Battle Royal and it was, and my nephew was actually in remission from leukemia at that point a couple of years. And so that same foundation that like we raised all that money for was actually the same one that helped my family during his time with that. So it was just like a really cool, like full story. Like I, I don't know many people though, with a, especially for a battle Royal, like a debut story that's is needed that, you know? So my whole family was there. Every, like every kid I knew on campus was there and it was still one of like the most, like hyped, like fun shows I've ever been on. That's awesome, man. That's, that's bad to say because I I don't I don't know if that's bad to say because I just wrestled in the Tokyo Dome. But <laughs> 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 so that's awesome. So you know you uh, you started uh, training. You know, 2015. You kind of start uh, getting more aware of the, the New Japan product in 2016. Um, kind of kind of a, a compound question here. I mean, so. 
how did you find out about the LA Dojo? Um, you know, when you went to try out, you know, talk about that process and then, you know, what's the, what's the average day of an LA Dojo, you know, um, training kind of look like? Um, so for the first half I, I saw, I had seen online that they, you know, they were, they were opening a dojo, just on Instagram, something, you know, one of the social media, probably Twitter, and they were making a big deal about it. And of course, you know, they announced that Shimada-san was going to be the head trainer. And uh, I looked at the camps because LA is only about an eight hour drive, nine hour drive from Reno where I was living. Um, I was also trained by the Reno scum. That's why I'm, I'm I need to watch impact tonight, but uh, <laughs> a fun, fun fact for anybody if they, <laughs> products. Um, so yeah so it was i knew that if there was something that I could make happen you know but at this point also i'm poor um you know i'm wrestling and i think it yeah i, I actually i was only wrestling at that time not because i was like making money either i i just had a job that i was unhappy with and quit and then um <clears throat> so i had a job that i was unhappy with and quit and then i was I had, this is like September of 2017. And so then I find myself, I'm only wrestling. And this is like, maybe like a Thursday. And I'm thinking like, oh my, like, how am I going to pay rent? How am I going to, everything. And then that Monday, the following Monday, I get a call from WWE because I had been at a Florida tryout in February of that year. And it was my second one with them actually. And so I, at that point I was told that like, I was going to start the hiring process and all that stuff. And then, you know, I cleared background checks, everything's good. And then it was just kind of one of those, like, you know, when, when there's a spot, you'll get a job or you, you know, you're waiting for that call to tell me when to report to Florida. Make sense. Yeah. And then, uh, so that's September, 2017. And then, so the timeline at that point is kind of like, you know, maybe towards the end of the year or early the next year, and then the next thing you know, it's July 2018, and I still don't have – I'm still waiting, you know, for – I have no timeline, anything. Not that there was, like, there was no reason to, like, rush me over. You know, I'm like, I, I wasn't a priority hire. Like, I understand that. Totally fine. But then I'm thinking, like, okay, well, I need to do something. I can't just, like, move about my – business as if I have a job in my back pocket because I you know I really don't in reality right <clears throat> and then there just so happened to be a weekend where I was in LA for four days which is rare usually it was a one-day thing and I, I had a QPO wrestling which is a sh uh, promotion that only runs every once in a while but does like kind of super shows and then so that was Thursday and then Saturday was bar wrestling and we were going to be there so we were going to be there for four days and it was the last camp of that year. And it was like those, it was Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So it was three of those four days. And I had to, it was, it was like a closed session because they had already been running camp since March, like big groups. And they had narrowed it down to like, I think there was like seven or eight people at this camp. And Scorpio Sky, who was actually the assistant coach at the time. Oh, wow. I, I had to like, I had to like text him and um, <clears throat> like, because there was no sign-up information online and because and it ended up being because it was a closed camp and so i could like text him and you know he put in a, a really good word for me and 
told Shabbat-Assam, like, you know, trust him that he thinks that Shabbat-Assam would like me. And so when we, you know, me and the boys, now we tell the story, like, they had been doing the camp since March. So they were, they had stayed in L.A., like, in hotels doing these camps and, like, been kept around because they were, you know, they were doing good since March. And then, like, the last day of the closed camp, Scorpion got a guy. That was me. See, that's awesome. And then I just, so I just, I just did it knowing that, if there was opportunity out there, I just, I believed him that I was good enough to make something of it. Um, and you know, if I'm getting a call, if I'm waiting on a call from WWE, uh, you know, someone new, new Japan's probably going to like something about me or anywhere else. <clears throat> and then, yeah, then I did those three days and it was the hardest, at least at that point, at that point, it was the hardest <laughs> day of my life. It was, it was, it was miserable, especially like doing the like wrestling too wrestling shows but because because every day after since i've been here it's been just as harder harder so that's why i say it at the time <laughs> so i mean that's i guess how the the actual new japan thing got in motion yeah so i did that camp and then uh shivana san offered me a job and i took it on the spot and i just after the three days and how much it, as hard as it was and brutal just the style like we were just just shooting and doing stuff, you know, and I don't, I've got like wrestling knowledge, a tiny wrestling background, but I hadn't been, you know, I'm not like, like you, even, you know, through high school, like that's much more tenured than anything I have. And I was just having so much fun because I'm always like, I love wrestling and I love fighting. Obviously I love pro wrestling. So it was just new stuff. And it was all so hard and it was all just real. And it was, it was so much fun. And I just, it, I felt so comfortable immediately and especially with that's now settled into like a style that I was so foreign to. And I had a lot of doubts initially whether or not I would be able to adapt to it successfully, you know, because it's just so, that's why you love it. It's not, you, we don't see that in America. We don't see even just, the, you know, the, the storyline, we don't see stuff like that. And it's, it's different when it's, everything is just big fight feel, you know, but it's so much for me, that's what I love now. And that's, it's so much more fun to me. So did you ever end up getting that, that call from WWE? Uh, no, well, I mean, I, I did good business and I, I reached out to them and let them know and everything, you know, everything's sweet there. They were really cool about it. So nice. Nice. And so, uh, so what's the average day at the dojo look like? What's the average like workout routine or average day that you guys have to do? It's evolved over time because um, it's again where there was you know they had the Santa Monica Dojo before, but it's you know, years and years apart. And this is Shabbat Shalom's first time leading a dojo and coaching like this. Um, so it's evolved over time, but it's kind of I mean as far as just the amount of work is the same. It's just it's just kind of nice we have we kind of have everything down to the science which is it comes through a lot of trial and error and the error is just no fun on the physical side but um like a normal day we'll say we leave the house at like nine thirty and then we're there we just condition and you know just the normal stuff there with you know the rules although our roles are different like our roles are we do like gymnastics. I feel like he's Shredder and we're the Foot Clan. That's how I see. That, that's honestly how I view us. But which is very, very, uh, you know, I'm honored to be in this position. But 
so yeah, we just do, you know, all the, the rolling and all that crazy stuff after like maybe 90 minutes, 90 minutes to two hours of like conditioning and workout. And then we do all that stuff and then we'll start our wrestling training, which is everything from jujitsu to amateur wrestling, just shooting, sparring, you know, and just everything. And that could take up to four hours or so. And then a lot of times we would also work out and lift weights at like afterwards or later in the evening or something. And then, you know, just the normal clean the dojo, all the, you know, all the young boy stuff. <laughs> so a lot of times like for, for us, like it was usually like an, it was like a legitimate nine to five. We were in the dojo. Boom. Nice. Yeah. Sound, yeah. sounds like an intense lifestyle, man. Yeah, it was, it was, it was tough at first, especially kind of just, you know, immediately like, like, one weekend I was living in Reno the next weekend I'm signed in New Japan and I'm here and you know and then it was the rules were strict for a while just like they are in Japan so we were just kind of you know basically like trust me the social distancing thing isn't too weird I just like to go to movies as well like I love going to movies <laughs> nice other than, other than that like the days are pretty much the same for us nice and um, so I want to hear about, you know, your experience wrestling in Japan. I'm just really curious, obviously, you know, that they have the New Japan Dojo that's established over there. Just wondering if there was, like, any quote-unquote heat with, like, the, you know, New Japan Dojo Young Lions. Were they kind of thinking you guys were kind of coming in and taking their spots kind of thing? And, um, do, you know, do you guys train with them during the Japanese tours and just kind of the, the differences between the New Japan Dojo and the L.A. Dojo? Uh, the main difference, and I think kind of goes without saying the biggest and most important is we have Shabbat-a-san. And I know he's training us and doing things that he knows that they don't do there because he's mm. gone through the system. And then also, you know, it's nice that even though it was short, you know, he, he's got, he had an MMA career and he's, yeah, he's done, you know, he's, he's just got a really good perspective on everything, you know, having left New Japan, you know, to pursue other dreams, do that, you know, then wrestling for other companies and coming back and prove, you know, proving that he is like he is New Japan. Yeah. And for them for them to trust a venture like this with him as well, you know, I think that that shows obviously how highly they think of him. Um, but yeah, we got over there and it was a uh, let me say, I mean, when I think of heat, I mean something you know, a specific issue at hand but there was friction there was animosity and there was there's was, there's was just a lot of tension and you know they don't like there's a language barrier as well so there's just there was no real way to, like just even things like just normal communication is tough already <clears throat> and then on top of like i i wanted you know i know and not, not just me i know clark did too like he he wanted to go over there and like change like turn this shit around and like flip this place on its head and the japanese fans like you like yeah you feel like you think you know what it you know like yeah like these kids this is the way i see things i'll even speak myself just in case i sound like a dick but this is this is sports this is a competition like i i wanted to go over there and stand across the ring from shoda and in front of the japanese audience and say that's a young boy i'm not Mm. Oh, oh, nice! <laughs> you know, and, and that's like, like, yeah, like you, you love your young boys. That's fine, 
I'm not like everything you see us do. We hit harder. We're bigger. We're stronger. We're faster. Like we are not you. Hmm. We're not the same. Wow. You know, and, but like, but that's, I mean, I don't know one, I mean, whether it be a fan or an athlete that doesn't want that out of an opponent, you know, right. like good, you know, the rivalry, the rivalry games are always the best games because everybody plays at their best because you have yeah. to. And that, I mean, and that's me saying that, like, I have a huge respect for every single one of those guys. I think they're all incredible wrestlers and they're talented and they're hard workers and all, all the bells and whistles, but I'm better. You know, that has nothing, nothing to do with you. That's just me believing in myself. So there was a, there was, I mean, we didn't talk for that whole tour either. Like, I don't think like not one moment, like we were like, you know, pre-show, post-show out in the streets, anywhere like next to each other. Wow. So it was, it was, it was interesting. (laughs) Man, that's, um, that's pretty awesome actually. So, I mean, you know, you, you, you said that like, it makes you sound like a dick to say something like that, but it's like, is it, if what you're saying is true, <laughs> you know? Well, so that's- I mean, I mean, there's that. And then I guess, I guess, so it could be, it could, if, if I was coming from a place where, where I'm, you know, I'm, I was explaining my attitude coming in and why I felt that way. And this is where my confidence sits. But if, right. you know, if I were to just, if I, if I'm just saying that for the sake of, you know, I'm obviously not, like if I'm putting someone down, you know, things like that, like, of course there's a way to, for that to be misconstrued. And to be honest, like I just, what I've seen so far, which is fine. Uh, like, and I've, I've known this kind of my whole life. Like sometimes my, my confidence or I've seen that happen other times like confidence makes insecure people uncomfortable mm. so some people some some people don't take well to my confidence yeah but mm. it's always for me it's what keeps me you know like I don't, I don't it keeps me cool with everyone and I don't have any enemies like in my life period because it's it's just it's coming from a place of you know, especially when I'm talking about my business and my, my career, you know, I'm an athlete, you know, LeBron was LeBron every time he played Kobe and he had, yeah. and he was never, he didn't care how good Kobe was because he knew he was LeBron. And so that's how you, that's how you, that's how you compete with those people. And that's how you earn their respect and that's how you become better. You know? So I just, it, I don't care you know, what building or who's in the room with me, I feel like this at all times. Nice. Well, we, we love that insight and, uh, yeah, that's, that's an awesome attitude yeah. to take. We, we okay. definitely want to, um, you know, get you through because we know you got to watch Reno scum, but, um, you, you mentioned competition. So just, you know, late last year, you were the first Gaijin winner of the young lions cup. So, I mean, from a personal and a professional standpoint, you know, you know, tell us about what that means to you, basically. It means, I mean, it, it not, so much, I don't want to say depending on the day, but I think it's more so sometimes, like, sometimes it, like, it really does hit me, like, how, how special that is and how cool it is. And just winning it, period, and being a part of this company, being a part of this culture now, and actually, you know, pro wrestling history you know it's 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 in the books now um but just being a part of that 
in any sense is special and it means a lot and obviously you know I do like have this it's something I put on myself and that we all do like we all want to make Shabbatasan proud you know and I so like it just means a lot on all those ends and then just other things so like I'm yeah I'm the first guys and winner and that's like that's another whole other level of crazy and also you know to from what I what I can think of, or, you know, um, you know, Hanari had mentioned just even back in the G1 that this is the first, it was the first time two Native Americans had been in the ring in Japan, you know, or in New Japan. And he's from New Zealand. So even just the fact, like, just, you know, uh, I'm, you know, I'm North American, you know, North American, Native Indian, Native American. I'm very proud of where I come from. Um, I'm from a tiny town in the middle of nowhere, Nevada. And, my dad and the reservation that you know I'm registered to where my tribe is is from it's not it has like a gas station I think it's closed now it's in the middle of nowhere it's you know it's I, I come from nowhere and to you know, so for me it means even more because yeah I'm the first guys in but then it, it to me it says something like you know I'm doing this across the world and the other side of the world will anybody any of the kids that go like they come from my small town can you could like can go and do stuff like that does that make make sense yeah definitely um yeah so like for me like and and i tried i'm very into at least in the sense of keeping a pulse on the world politics and things like that but i'm not i don't like to be political um you know by myself so for me, I try to like kind of somewhat keep it separate. Like, yeah, it means it means the world to me that I'm, you know, not only by the first guys in winter, but I'm a Native American, you know. Yeah. Um, I I grew up on, I grew up, I never once turned on a song on, that I heard on the radio from a Native American artist. Never turned on a movie. I didn't get to watch it. You know, I didn't wrestling, um, sports. Just you know, so I. It's, it's like one. It's like a a major but quiet goal of mine um, to be, you know, somewhat or as much of a mainstream athlete as I can, so other Native kids can see that. And it's it's just I think as far as you know the, the, your dreams and things you want to pursue. Like I I initially wanted to be a police officer because my dad was. And then I, like, I even got my degree in criminal justice, but midway through school, I was like, I have no no desire to become a police officer. It's an awful job. It's, hard. it's such a hard job. You know, like it's so much, so much stress. But what about the, you know, any other kid might see John Cena on TV or so-and-so and like you, you see someone that you look like and you automatically can put yourself in their shoes and like just, just little things like that. They're, it's it's just the, the simple like if they can do it I can do it, but it it's also important to be able to see people that are like you do those things. So it's just it's day by day. Some days I'm just like yeah that was fun cool. Uh, obviously on to the next thing. I want more. I'm you know ready for more. But and there are days like if I have to answer a question like this or it'll just hit me differently. It it's. I guess I'm just maybe sometimes maybe afraid to make a big deal out of it, but I feel like it's 
a decent <laughs> benchmark <laughs> deal. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, that, yeah, that's great, man. It's definitely great to kind of have you know those benchmarks and just you know try to increase the representation in wrestling. You know, I'm, I'm African American and. You know, when I see African American stars succeed, I mean that that Kofi Mania moment last year was you know very emotional for me. So I definitely appreciate you, you know, trying to you know represent uh, for the Native Americans. Yeah, and and you know what, I I myself I'm Choctaw and Cherokee as well. So like to be honest, oh, I very cool. I thought with the last name Fredericks, honestly, I was like German maybe. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but but once I'm, you mentioned I'm it, half. I was like, oh, I can totally see you know the uh, the Native, and that's that's really awesome that you want to represent in that way. I, um, I, I wasn't even aware of that fact that you mentioned about natives wrestling over in Japan. So that's pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah. Like I think it's, I mean, that's, that's history to some extent, right? Yeah, you definitely. Know? And it's in the, I get to do it in the business that I love. So it's, well, I can I, tell I, you this much as, as a lifelong fan of new Japan pro wrestling and watching it, you know, Winning that cup means history, like for sure. <laughs> there's, there's, yeah, there's quite a, you know, like quite a just, few names have gone to done huge things in this business. And I think it's also for me, you know, if I, you know, stay the course and things keep going well for me, you know, it's it's really cool to say that I have that like from the ground up. You know, mm, like yeah. not a lot of people. You know, you could you can win every tournament in new Japan, but like the young lions cup as well. Or so, you know, like, I just think it's, it's a, uh, it's a good opportunity to make it even more special as I go. Definitely. And, um, you know, want to get you out of here in time. So last question here, you know, you, you talked about history and want to make history. Also new Japan, um, is going to be making history, um, in late August, August 22nd for wrestle dynasty in Madison square garden. Um, do you have plans on getting on that card and what would it mean to you to wrestle in Madison Square Garden? Um, I have ev- absolutely every intention of taking whatever opportunity I have from now till then to do what I can to prove that I'm I'm worth putting on that card. Um, I can't imagine, you know, just let's just say this calendar year. If, if if I'm able to 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 do that, then I can say that I I wrestled in the Tokyo Dome and the Garden in the same year, the same calendar year. And you know, as a young lion, or just even as you know, I'm still a rookie in New Japan. I think that that's that would if if I can make that happen, that I'm I'm headed down the direction that I want to. You know, definitely. That's great, man. But yeah, um, wrestling at the Garden. I mean, the, the Tokyo Dome was insane. Like you know, but that's that's new. That's you know, twenty-seven year old Carl figured out like how how much that means and how important that is, and it is. But you know, the Garden is something like you know, I'm an, I'm an American kid. I've grew up watching American wrestling. I've watched WrestleMania live from like you know, and and then being at the SuperCard last year. And just and you know ringside and watching all that and feeling that like there's not one part of me that remotely wants to be seconding on the outside of that ring when that you know when it comes time for that show. Mm. 
Nice. Yeah, that's definitely a great mindset to have. And, you know, we were at G1 Supercard also, and we're, you know, if everything goes well, we're planning on being at uh, Wrestle Dynasty as well. So I really hope we do get to see great, you man. on the card. I appreciate that. Oh. Yeah, we, um, I mean, I, I just like, you know, at this point, um, you know, with, with the way things are going and your trajectory, you know, you never know what the future holds, but I imagine by the next time we, we end up talking, we'll have uh, quite a few more things to, to discuss as far as your accomplishments are concerned, because, you know, uh, you know, the, the, the skies are wide open for you as far as opportunities concerned. <laughs> <laughs> I really appreciate that, man. All right, Carl, before you head out, why don't you just um, give the fans your, you know, your social media, your plugs, and where they can find you online. Cool. Um, I believe both my – actually, no, Instagram is a little bit. Instagram's just Carl Fredericks, NJPW, one word. And then Twitter's Carl Fredericks. Uh, spell it with a K. I promise you'll get there faster. <laughs> um, what else do I – I might be setting up a Twitch soon. Or actually, I actually have an account, but I might – Start streaming my very poor NCAA football play. Um, I don't. This, this this whole distance thing has forced me to play video games again for the first time in like ten years, and <laughs> I'm not very not very good. So, uh, but the, my Twitch is. I'm pretty sure it's just my name. Same thing. But uh, yeah, uh, follow me on those things. If you if you listen to this, I love engaging with the fans and even even just. BS every day on Twitter. I answer. You found out if it's in the message request. I'm probably not going to answer it. There's too many weird things in that <laughs> in, in that that part of the app. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a lot of time like just I, I reactions, comments. I'm pretty good about actually interacting with everybody so long as you don't send me your genitals. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. Yeah. We appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today, man. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Yeah, thank you, Carl. All right, guys, take care. Uh, be safe. All right, and we're back, man. Like I said, just another, you know, it's a great interview there with Carl. Dude, let me let me tell you something. When we interview people, we, me and Jeremy, we always brainstorm. We end up coming up with, uh, you know, kind of the tone. What would we like to kind of touch on? Where would we kind of like to kind of uh, direct the conversation, hopefully, and, you know, that sort of thing? But generally, we have like a, a rough outline of questions, and we almost always get through all of them in a pretty short amount of time because we, we're trying to respect everybody's, you know, time, the wrestlers, as well as you, the listeners. But um, like with Carl, we didn't even get through like half our questions. <laughs> I and... know, like, because obviously, you know, we message each other what, during the interview to kind of, you know, see where we're at and who's going to ask what. And then it's like, are we going to ask this? I'm like, I don't know. Like <laughs> we're already like 40 minutes in <laughs> and, 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 and I loved it. That is not yes. a, a complaint no. yeah. whatsoever. Like that just means down the road, we got a lot more to talk to this guy about. Right. Like, this is only part one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, Carl, if you're listening, thank you for, you know, uh, you know, uh, being so gracious with your, <clears throat> excuse me, Corona. <laughs> uh, thank you for being so gracious with your time and, uh, you know, coming on the show and, uh, you know, we, uh, Hope to see you again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Hopefully, we can. Uh, we'll see you in New York. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Um, we'll see. <laughs> so we're gonna do the news real quick, and then get to you guys' questions. Uh, so first thing here in the news, my dad is oh, a heel oh, oh. wrestler. 
I am so excited. Yes, it's set to premiere on NJPW World April 4th with English subtitles. Ever since we found out about this movie, we've been wanting to get our hands on this and watch it. And now we're finally going to get to watch it on NJPW World. I've had the opportunity to watch it previously uh, via alternative means. And I've just said, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to wait. And then they finally came through, you know, Harold, the boys. They put it up. It's there. I cannot wait. You know, uh, my girlfriend keeps telling me, like, she can't wait for WrestleMania this weekend. I'm like, that's fine because that's going to be a train wreck anyways. As long as we can watch my dad as a heel wrestler because that is the biggest extravaganza. That's the biggest event coming up on April 4th. Like, I'm so stoked to see this. Yeah, we might have to. I guess we should do a review, I guess, next week of that, right? Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Especially considering, like, how big of a cinephile that I am, like, I'm going to be, I absolutely want to do a, a, a review of this. Nice. So, yeah, really looking forward to that. My Dad is a Heel Wrestle, the movie that stars Tanahashi. That'll be on NJPW World April 4th with English subtitles. Also up now on NJPW World, uh, New Beginning in Tampa, Nashville, and Raleigh, are they're up for free. And they're also uploading matches, um, individual matches from those shows on the New Japan YouTube. So go ahead and check that out. Some free content there for you guys. There's also two free shows. I don't see it here on the outline, but I just want to touch base on it. Uh, The first night of Wrestle Kingdom as well as uh, Royal Quest are both made uh, free on NJPW World now for non-subscribers. Yeah, so Wrestle Kingdom, yeah, we talked about last week. I didn't realize they had Royal Quest up there for free also. Yeah, both of those are are up free now. So, yeah, tons of free content for you guys. If you haven't watched those shows, if you were listening to this and you were not subscribed to NJPW World, which I think is probably a small majority of you guys, uh, go ahead and check out these free shows and really uh, dive into this uh, content here. And when you do it, be sure to use the NJPW extension. Exactly. (laughs) Boom. Uh, should we do a, a watch party when we do My Dad is a Heel Wrestler next week? Yeah, I think we should. That's so good. we can all watch it together? Yeah. Because I, I, I was thinking about it. Like, WrestleMania is coming up this week, and I'm like, we're not all going to be getting together, like, for the first time in, like... Dude, it's, it's so sad. I was how at, many years? I was looking at my Mania schedule for today, for the week, and was like, <laughs> damn. Like, I was supposed to be on vacation this whole week. Yeah, I canceled my 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 PTO. I canceled dude, it. So did I, dude. Like, huh? I canceled mine too. Yeah. Yeah, my boss is like, "Are you asking off or what's going on?" And I was like, "Nah, man. WrestleMania is no uh, is a no go." He's like, "What?" <laughs> I was like, "Don't worry about it. Just I'll be in." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sad stuff. But uh, moving on, the news. Uh, the New Zealand Dojo tryouts they have been postponed. Actually, I, I wanted to say one other thing. Uh, I saw earlier today, I was on Facebook, and good friend of the show, Dan Coffin, it said, uh, you have five upcoming events this week, and he, he just put, had. Right, dude, yeah, Facebook <laughs> hit, me, hit me with that, too. You have events coming up this week. Like, no, no, I don't. <laughs> Thanks for rubbing uh, it in, Zuckerberg. Uh, uh, so, Best of Super Junior Tournament is scheduled to start on May 12th, and, you know, we've been talking about this just, you know, about participants in this, especially the foreign ones, because right now, um, anyone who comes to Japan from a foreign country has to be quarantined for two weeks. Obviously, the Americans, Europeans, and Mexicans that would normally participate in the tournament would have to come in two weeks earlier and, um, you know, stay in a hotel or home and not go to the gym and, you know, be quarantined um, until 
uh, for two weeks to participate in this tournament. Yeah. Also, Japan still has a travel ban against all European travelers. So I don't even know, you know, by that point, will that be lifted? You know, we, we just don't know, man. I If I had a guess right now, my best bet is – I would say best juniors pro- best of the super juniors probably not happening. Uh, harsh. And, and we have a lot of questions about that too, so we'll talk about that a little bit we'll, more. We'll talk about it, but yeah. Yeah. Um, also, this past week we had the exalted one, Brody Lee, on Talk is Jericho. And normally that would be a kind of an AEW news. But on this uh, interview with Jericho, there's lots of mentions of New Japan pro wrestling. You know, one point, you know, Brody is talking about wanting to leave WWE and just being frustrated with his spot and talking to Triple H. And Triple H, what do you want to do? You want to wrestle the New, New, New Japan? Like, I can do that for you. It's <laughs> like, what? Yeah, that was... <laughs> That was interesting. And then um, the funny thing was Jericho's like, he's like, Triple H can get you to New Japan. Who? What relationship does he have to New Japan? The feud lives on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do not. Etern- th- those two guys will have eternal beef. Forever, yes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was kind of a weird kind of comment there. And honestly, it's probably just one of those things that just trying to make, um, you know, Brody stay and in the past we've seen with like Juice Robinson he he talked to uh, Matt Bloom aka uh, Prince Albert A Train and obviously Albert had just came from wrestling from New Japan so had the relationships and had the connections there and set that up for Juice but you know Triple H saying that he could set something up kind of similar is kind of kind of weird. <laughs> well, yeah, it is weird. You know, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today too. I was like, you know, back in the day there was a period where like they used to mention New Japan quite a bit on the air. Uh, they would mention guys that were like former IWGP champions, you know, they'd be like AJ Styles, Brock Lesnar, you know, guys like that, former IWGP champions. And they used to do that stuff. They don't, not anymore. Well, yeah. On NXT, like Mar does on NXT talking about like, you know, like Red Dragon, those guys, but on the main roster, they don't mention. Yeah. He'll say shades of Hiroki Goto. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, um. I do wonder if, like, maybe at the that time, who knows? We know about the stuff with NXT Japan. Maybe there was some sort of, uh, maybe like Triple H was supposing that there would be a relationship that we don't know about. Right. I don't know. And Brody even said in the interview, he's like, at that time, I was thinking, well, maybe they're they're buying New Japan or New Japan's going to be on the network the way that, that Triple H was talking. Well, remember there was talks of that, uh, not you know, not recently, but a couple years ago or maybe even like a year or two ago. I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, but uh, remember they were talking about them trying to maybe like have their content on the network. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we yeah, talked so about who it. Knows? Yeah. yeah. And also in this interview with Jericho, he mentioned several times about, you know, wanting to compete in new Japan uh, pro wrestling. So count me in. I'm all in on Brody getting some time in new Japan, doing some tours. So that'd be awesome. It's, absolutely yeah it's absolutely it, it's in his contract much like a lot of the AEW wrestlers where he can do new japan and limited indies so hopefully um you know once things gotta get cleared up here down the line we can get uh the exalted one doing some tours in new japan i'm not opposed to it my only real reservation on it is just uh how many guys are going to be allowed to do that and you know what it feels like a lot of those guys get special treatment to a degree when they're not here. You know what I mean? Right. And it's like, how, how special is it if everybody's doing it? You know, it's one thing when it's just Jericho, just Mox, but then you got Jericho, Mox, him, Matt Hardy, Jeff Cobb, you know, 
maybe Kenny down the line. It's like it gets. It's like, well, what's going on here? Yeah, it's very interesting. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. Yeah, do, do they act on it? You know, Kenny has it in his in his contract. They haven't called Kenny yet, and I think the Bucks have it in their contract as well. And so, obviously, New Japan has had no interest in bringing those guys in. Are they gonna have interest in bringing uh, Brody Lee and Matt Hardy? Well, they should have listened to uh, our show last week, and if they had heard about all the different, uh, you know, options that they had as far as booking wise, I don't know, it might change their opinion. So, you know, <laughs> Gato, if you're listening, last week's episode, that one's for you, bud. <laughs> gave you some uh, some booking plans there, buddy. We gave you the blueprint. <laughs> <laughs> um, up on NJPW World and YouTube, the free match of the week, IWGP Junior Tag Team Championship match from Secure Genesis 2018, Yoshinobu Kanemaru El Esperado versus Bushi and Hiromu versus Sho and Yo. So check that out. Uh, this past weekend, Minoru Suzuki hosted a Gato Move YouTube show. Yeah, those of you who don't know, Jeremy Donovan, Gato, Gato Move enthusiast. No, I, I cannot take credit for being a, a Gato Move enthusiast. That's all. Oh, bro, you love Gato Move. Friends who's, of the, the, who's the wrestler that you guys like? Uh, Lulu Pencil. Dude, it's not me, dude. It's it's all Rich and uh, Josh number two. I've never even watched nah. a Gato Move show. Only the Jeremy, one that... Jeremy, Jeremy loves Lulu Pencil. No, that's uh, Josh number two and, and Rich. <laughs> no, I know. Uh but yeah, so you check that out. Uh, Suzuki, uh, you know, having a, a struggle, a battle, a war with uh, Lulu Pencil. Uh, then also this past week, Dave Meltzer, he uh, dropped his Wrestling Observer the Decade Award. So he kind of came up with a a point system. And based off of the past 10 years of award winners, he assigned a certain point value and kind of came up with, you know, the, the top 10 for each of the awards uh, for the decade. And obviously, New Japan kind of cleaned up once again in the, in the awards. So uh, for the Luthes, Ric Flair, Wrestler of the Year, Tanahashi ended up winning that uh, decade. Then, uh, Yeah. Do you want to talk about each of these? Or yeah. you just want to yeah, go yeah, through yeah, it? Yeah, we can talk about each of them. I mean, I'm not too surprised that it's Tanahashi. I believe he was like Wrestler of the Year three years out of the ten. And... You know, he almost places. I I I don't know. I don't have the information in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I'm but trying to placed, pull. I'm trying to pull up the observer right now. If he didn't place all years, it's something really high, like eight or nine years. So I mean, um, my only thing with that is I think a lot of New Japan fans would make the argument for Okada. Yeah, and I believe he was second in. Yeah, it's just one of those things, you know, Tanahashi was the guy that, you know, saved them from the dark ages and was, you know, just the, the face of that promotion for so long. And obviously it was him that kind of, you know, helped get Okada over. So I see why a lot of people would would say Tanahashi, but at the same time, you see how Okada kind of skyrocketed. Uh, well, I think I think it, you have to take into consideration a lot of things like you have to take in, into consideration quality of matches you know over the entire decade um you know i think obviously wrestler of the year consideration plays a huge part into it you know how many times were they considered how many times did they win um their drawing ability their placement at the top of the card like all those sorts of um you know all those sorts of criteria kind of come into play I, i think for me the biggest difference between say a tanahashi and okada Tanahashi definitely 
brought New Japan to prominence, especially in the like first quarter of the uh, the decade. But when you look at the overall, it's like there were certain years, those earlier years where Tanahashi was at the top, and it's by no fault of his own. He didn't have the same cast of characters or to work with that Okada ended up having. And I almost argue that Okada ended up having the better years, maybe more better years overall than Tanahashi. The difference is, is that in many of those years where Okada was like at the top of his game, he had other guys that he had to compete with that maybe, you know, Tanahashi didn't have in that first, you know, quarter of the, of, of the decade, you know, he didn't have Will Ospreay. He didn't have Kenny Omega. He didn't have Naito. Well, I mean, he did, but not, not the Naito that we got later on. Um, I guess he did have Nakamura, but I mean, it is, it's kind of different. You know what I mean? Right. And I'm looking at this. So Tanahashi won wrestler of the year three times in the last decade where Okada only won it once. So that kind of proves to your point, just the, the competition, right. like clearly Okada could have won it more, but with, you know, Kenny Omega and AJ Styles and, you know, a lot of these guys, you know, there's so much competition for, for Okada on, Okada on top. And with Tanahashi, those right. th- those three years that he won, like you mentioned, he didn't have those guys kind of pushing and fighting for that top crown. But I think Okada, in some of those years where he was like number two or number three over the past you know five years, many of those years were better than some of the best Tanahashi years, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know what I mean. So that's that's what I'm kind of saying there. Um, I think when you take a holistic look at the body of work, and this is coming from me, a die hard professed you know mark for tanahashi but you know we have to be as uh you know um unbiased as we possibly can be i I don't i i'm not opposed to tanahashi winning this award but i think it's like a 1a 1b sort of scenario and with the rise of of okada over the past you know since when he make his return 2012 yeah i believe so so i mean you're looking at eight years where he's literally having the best matches of, of the year. He's proving himself. I mean, multiple five stars every single year. I mean, he's, he's um, already, I think broke the all time star rating uh, all time uh, five star plus matches. And he's like in his thirties, he's much younger than Kobashi and Mizawa and those guys. And, you know, Kurt Angle and, you know, um, all them were. So plus the business is undoubtedly been better and higher overall. Now it's not solely due to Okada, but when Okada has been on top business is booming, they've done business has been better. It was, and also with him on top, it's been better than when Naito or Kenny were on top, even though those were brief periods or even Tanahashi. So, I mean, um, or Jay white for that matter. So it's, I think if I was being completely honest with you, I think Okada is really the wrestler of the decade. Yeah, I think what what kind of, you know, give it to Tanahashi, once again, those three wins, winning three of the ten, and then also Tanahashi was on the list, nine out of ten, Okada was only on there, eight out of ten. It's also based on... But, his- but, but think about those eight out of ten, it's because he made his return to New Japan in 2012, so since he came back, mm-hmm. he's been on it every single year. Um, I think when you use an algorithm like this, it's a fun, um, it's a fun, like... Uh, exercise project it's an it's an exercise but i don't think that it is completely indicative of the reality um and again i'm not opposed to tanahashi i mean 
you can make that argument. I bet you tomorrow if someone made that argument to me, they could probably sway me. That's how good of a decade Tanahashi's had. But Okada has been the guy in New Japan since, what, 2015? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. That I, I think it's Okada, man. I really do. Yeah, and so kind of uh, filling out this list, so we have Okada at number two, John Cena at number three, AJ Styles at number four, Kenny Omega at number five, Shinsuke Nakamura at number six, Jericho seven, Daniel Bryan number eight, number nine, CM Punk, and number ten, Kento Miyahara. Um, the next one promotion of the decade, no surprise, New Japan Pro Wrestling. I think that they were the promotion of the year, like, what, eight out of the ten years? Yeah. And I don't even have the numbers in front of me. I'm just going off the top of my head. I yeah, think the other me, two the other two years it was the UFC. Yeah, let me uh, verify that here. Let's see. Yeah, best promotion. So, yeah, New Japan won it 8 out of 10. Yeah, and UFC was the other two. So And New Japan was on the the, the ballot all 10 years. So. Pre- pretty amazing because out of, uh, you know, when you think back to the previous decade, there were several – there were several years in the late 2000s where uh, they were voted like worst promotion in the world. So, I mean, <laughs> that's a that's a huge turnaround. Yeah. Yeah. It's just crazy to think that at one point, because obviously, you know, I wasn't watching through Dark Ages. So just thinking like, you know, as I learned about the Dark Ages and just what a bad spot they're in, that New Japan was like one of the worst promotions. <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Uh, yeah. I, I still think there's some really, really great stuff in there during those dark times, but I get it. And then uh, the most outstanding wrestler, this goes to Kazuchika Okada. On the now, most outstanding is like the best, the, the best uh, in-ring worker. Yeah. Okay. And so um, Okada, Okada number one here, Tanahashi number two here, and both of them on the list eight years for this category. And um, I'm not sure what the, the point algorithm here, but Okada um, edged out Tanahashi just by one point here. Yeah, uh, that's pretty crazy. <laughs> and again, you can make the argument for either guy. Yeah. And then also on this list, uh, number three, you got AJ Styles. Also, a lot of his run during this decade was in New Japan. Uh, number four, Tomohiro Ishii. Number five, uh, Brian Danielson. Number six, Kenny Omega. Number seven, Will Ospreay. Number eight, Davey Richards. Number nine, Kota Ibushi. And number 10, Shinsuke Nakamura. I'll just say this. Uh, we don't have to long, have a long discussion about it, but if you have a guy like Tomohiro Ishii, who is number four for the most outstanding wrestler of the decade, given the fact of his slot and placement on the card and the opportunities that have slash haven't been given to him and the lack of, of you know title runs or title opportunity that's been given to this guy, I don't see how he's not a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And we'll talk about another category in a second for Ishii. But, yeah, just his his body of work and, like you mentioned, just being at the position he is to have that amount of work. Um, yeah, he's, this guy's incredible. Yeah. Uh, best tag team of the decade, the Young Bucks. Yeah, so clearly, you know, the Young Bucks, a lot of their run this past decade was in New Japan pro wrestling in that junior division. And at the very end there, they got into the heavyweight tag division. But, yeah, they were on the list all 10 years in the decade. Um Blew out the competition here. They won five out of ten years in a row for Tag Team of the Year. Yeah. I mean, what can you say? Uh, I mean, it's sort of – it's one of the most controversial, non-controversial statements you can make. I think the Young Bucks are the greatest tag team of all all time. 
Yeah. To some people that's super controversial, but I think when you break it down from a, uh, especially given what they have been able to do with the creation of AEW and their role in that, uh, you know, industry changing development, plus their body of work, plus their achievements, plus, you know, uh, the attention and eyes that they've drawn in, in an era where people really aren't always like drawing in, in the 2000, late, you know, in the 2010s is not the same as drawing in like the nineties or the eighties. These guys are undoubtedly draws. Look at their YouTube show, look at their merch sales, look at the business that they've done everywhere on the independent scene, internationally, in Japan, in the States, uh, the length of their work together. Uh, to me, the Young Bucks remind me in a lot of ways of Ric Flair. And what I mean by that is there have always been people who have – who, when he was in his prime, criticized Ric Flair because of the way that he had a formulaic match. You know, there was people – like uh, Bret Hart always criticized it, even though he is guilty of the same thing. But, you know, Rick would be the guy who the, people would say, like, if you watch one Rick match, you've pretty much seen the majority of all of them because he did the same thing every single night. That's kind of the same thing for the Young Bucks. But it doesn't matter because that match that Rick could have with any wrestler in the country on any night, and he did it almost every night for a decade in the 80s, that's what the Young Bucks have been able to do. They can go in there with any tag team and have a four-plus star match, even though it's formulaic. They're so entertaining and so dynamic, and they've reinvented themselves so many times. And, you know, Jeremy will tell you, I like the Young Bucks, but I'm not a Young Bucks mark. But I'm very, like, convinced at this point, given the body of work, given the length of their run together and their success, I, I think you have a, re- a really hard time showing me any other tag team that's been together as long as they have who've had as many great matches as they've had, who's drawn similar or as good business. Now you might find people who've been able to beat them in those different categories, but, but all you together. can't find me a tag team all together. Who's done as many of those things as they've done. Um, they're the most influential and important tag team of the decade by far. And the most outstanding tag team it's there. You know, there, there isn't, there isn't another one. Yeah, man. Amen to everything you just said there. Totally agree with you on every single point. I mean, I remember watching, you know, the Young Bucks a lot of time in Ring of Honor. And I'm just like, why aren't Ring of Honor main eventing their pay-per-views with these guys? They have the, right. the best match on every freaking card. I don't care about the world title. These guys are having the best matches. Put that tag team title match in the main event and draw some houses with these guys and get some pay-per-view buy rates with these guys in the main event. Um they they changed the independent scene. They they completely changed the independent scene. Um, you know, the the only big thing is they were not and I'll say this is the truth, they were never as important in New Japan as they were outside of New Japan. True. That's the one that's the one caveat with this thing. But overall, I mean the, the Bucks are phenomenal. Yeah. Also uh, on this list at number two, we got Red Dragon, uh, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly. Number three, Sekimoto and Obayakishi. Uh, number four, we got Mark and Jay Briscoe. Number five, the Lucha Bros. Number six, Daniels and Kazarian. Number seven, the Usos. Number eight, New Day. Number nine, Bernard and Anderson. Number 10, Rollins and Reigns. So that yeah. bring, wow. bring, brings us to uh, Most Charismatic. And we have a win here for Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um. That's a little surprising 
Um, I've never really paid too much attention to the most charismatic award, but you know, there's no denying uh, how charismatic Tanahashi is. He just has it. Um, you know, I've always made this this claim, and there's people who will disagree with me about it, but I I feel very confident about it. Say what you will about his personal life outside of wrestling and everything of that nature. And I'm not defending him in any means by saying this, but when you look at a Hulk Hogan, there is something transcendent about the charisma he had that I don't think that he could be anything other than a top star in any era he wrestled, regardless of his in-ring ability, because there was something about him that was so magnetic that he could have wrestled in any era. And I think he would have been a major star based on his charisma. I think that that same thing can be said. Obviously, I think uh, Tanahashi is one of the greatest workers of all time, so I'm not saying he's not a great worker, but I'm saying his charisma does transcend in that way um, where I think in most scenarios he would be a huge star no matter where he's at. And the fact that the majority of people who were voting for him in this award over the past decade – they didn't even start doing English translations till Wrestle Kingdom 9, and it wasn't even a regular thing till like two years later. So people are voting on a Japanese wrestler who they can't understand <laughs> the promos <laughs> or the language he's using, and they're calling him the most charismatic. That's insane. Right, just based off his aura, the energy. Like, we say all the time, pro wrestling itself is almost a language. Like, you can look at his bi-language, you know, the way he carries himself. Um, you can just, the charisma just, you know, jumps off the screen with Tanahashi, and that's part of the reason why he's, you know, had such a great longevity. Even today, you know, obviously he's not in his peak, but he's still obviously one of the most popular guys in the company, and people still kind of see him as the ace, even though, you know, Okada is the top guy right now in the promotion, and that charisma just carries him to a whole other level. Yeah. Um, And so he was on the list um, all 10 years in the decade, he got one win. Um, at number two, we got Shinsuke Nakamura, who was on the list uh, six years in a row with two wins. Yeah. And then at number three, wow. we got John Cena. Number four, Tetsuya Naito. Number five, The Rock. Number six, Conor McGregor. Number seven, Chris Jericho. Number eight, Brock Lesnar. Number nine, CM Punk. And number 10, Daniel Bryan. And I, and I will say this. I think that this is another uh, situation where I would probably – argue that maybe some of those other names overall were more charismatic throughout the decade. But, you know, it's an algorithm, essentially, the way that they're uh, tallying this. So I don't know if I'd personally rate Tanahashi as the most charismatic, but if if I had to do a list, he's on the short list. Definitely. So up next, we got the best technical wrestler of the decade. And no surprise here, Zack Sabre Jr., Number one, on the list nine out of ten years, won six times. Well, you know, the, this award, and we've joked about it, they they renamed it years ago, the, the Brian Danielson Award, and it's getting to a point where Zack Sabre Jr. is about to probably in the next few years equal the, the, the amount of wins that Brian Danielson's had or even surpass it, and they might need to rename the award at that point. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah, and uh, number two, Daniel Bryan. He had, was on the list uh, seven out of ten years with uh, four wins. Number three, go, go. Well, 
caveat, the only reason he wasn't on the list all those years is the times that he wasn't an active wrestler. Right, yeah, that, the injuries, yeah. So who knows if he – I mean, yeah, he didn't win as many times during the decade as uh, Zack Sabre Jr., but who knows? Yeah, if he was still healthy, I'm sure he would have – you know, he would probably be on the list all 10 years of the decade or right. 9 out of 10 and would have had, you know, some strong placements. Uh, number three, Kyle O'Reilly. Spent a lot of time in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, number four, Prince Devitt, a.k.a. Finn Balor. Number five, Davey Richards. Number six, Tanahashi. Number seven, Timothy Thatcher. Number eight, Okada. Nine, Cesaro. And number 10, AJ Styles. I miss Davey Richards. <laughs> Dude, I know. We've we've said his name now you know, a couple times here on these lists. Dude, Davey Richards was so freaking awesome. Dude, I loved him. His running Ring of Honor, uh, Ring of Honor World Champ, you know, him and Eddie Edwards as the American Wolves, they were a phenomenal tag team. And yeah, oh man, I know they did a lot of stuff in Japan. They had some, um, they didn't, they weren't in New Japan, were they? They were, uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I think they were in Noah. Noah, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah, they had a lot, some, uh, the running impact. Like David Richard was just a phenomenal pro wrestler, and I wish he was somebody that was utilized today. It does show you the difference in uh, um, hiring philosophy because those guys showed up on NXT and they uh, didn't hire them because they said that they uh, had bad attitudes and they were too too dangerous. You know, uh, if those guys had come along two two or three years later, they would have been signed up like immediately. That. Yeah, just yeah, bad timing for um, the American Wolves there. But yeah, um, after after that, the best brawler award and the winner was Tomohiro Ishii. Yeah, seven years on the list. He won six of the seven years that he was on the list. Interesting, interesting. Um, you know, the best brawler award has always been a kind of a uh, I don't know what the word is, sort of a divisive um, term for me because they kind of um, lump together guys that are like hard-hitting wrestlers who have like a, a strong style like brawling style like uh Ishii they mix them in with like the hardcore wrestlers guys that do like you know um death matches you know the death matches and you know hardcore style stuff and they're kind of all just lumped together and I, I I've always been kind of I get why they do it because you don't want to I guess if you split it it's almost like splitting hairs and it's like creating too many uh different um like categories, but at right. the same time, I think they're different. Yeah, but looking who's on the you know, the top list here, there's not a lot of the deathmatch hardcore kind of brawlers on here. It's more of like the straight up like strike based guys that are. Well, I, I know Kevin Steen is like number two, and I would kind of categorize him as the latter almost, at least previously. Um, and Dean Ambrose, yeah, or Mox, yeah. But I think um, almost the last decade, Moxley was in WWE, and so he was on the list seven years in a row. And I feel like, you know, in WWE, he did kind of have that wild kind of brawl and jump zone, jump out of nowhere. But obviously, yeah, previously he was a deathmatch guy. And, uh, like but, he, oh, go ahead. Like he mentioned uh, Kevin Steen's number two there, and obviously all the ladder wars and crazy stuff he did in Ring of Honor. Right. And PWG. Yeah. But uh, who else is on that list? So, uh, number three, we have Shibata. He was on the ballot five out of ten years, won it once. I, if if his career had continued, I wouldn't have been surprised 
if he gave Ishii a run for his money, honestly. Yeah. And then after um, Shibata, we have John Moxley, then Togi Makabe, then uh, Minoru Suzuki, Brock Lesnar, Pentagon Jr., and Bully Ray. Okay. Yeah, wow. Um, that's quite a list of guys. And the fact that Ishii is, you know, the best brawler of the decade, again, Hall of Famer, period. Yeah, guys in, you know, most outstanding, best brawler, like, and once again, at his level on the card, like, definitely Hall of Famer. I I think so. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with those, those Hall of Fame votes. So then moving on to the best flyer, the winner here was Ricochet. And also during this decade, Ricochet spent a lot of time in New Japan Pro Wrestling as a part of the junior division on the list 10 years, all 10 years of the decade, and won three times. Not surprised. Yeah, obviously the stuff he did in New Japan was just incredible, and also, you know, the stuff with him and Will Ospreay going viral at the beginning of the decade and kind of being, um, you know, very polarizing in the wrestling community. Yeah, I mean, Ricochet, um, you know, it's a shame what is happening with his career currently. Hopefully things turn around because, you know, uh, when I first got exposed to this guy, I just thought he's the future of the industry, and I still think he can be. But, um, I mean, I'm not surprised at all. I mean, when you think of guys that were revolutionary high flyers in this decade, I think there's been none more so than Ricochet, honestly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the guy, the guy's been phenomenal the last 10 years, and just influence he's he's had on the indies and just the incredible stuff he was able to do in his matches. Then um, number two, Kota Ibushi on the list, nine out of ten years in the past decade. He also won three of the ten. Uh, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised by that at all. Um, a lot of people probably, especially if they're more modern viewers, they might be a little surprised by that because they obviously Kota Ibushi does some high flying, but I I think at this point most people wouldn't categorize him as strictly a high flying wrestler. Right. Um, but when you look at his junior roots and everything like his DDT runs and his junior runs in uh, New Japan and you know his independent stuff, there's no no denying that he was one of the most gifted and talented high flying wrestlers of this past decade. I mean, just uh, there's one um, particular match that comes to mind. It's this uh, Chikara four way. It's like him, uh, Nick Jackson. Um, Sammy Zayn, well, um, Sammy Zayn and somebody else, and it's it's fucking nuts. <laughs> uh, speaking of Sammy Zayn, on the, the the Ring of Honor series that they did for him on YouTube, they have the match. The first match is El Generico versus Kota Ibushi. Ibushi's still in DDT, and that match was freaking incredible. You want nice. to see, see like Ibushi's like high flying? You see it in that match, and I didn't realize Ibushi did Ring of Honor when he was in DDT. That was during I, time, I didn't either. Yeah, that was a time period where I kind of fell out of Ring of Honor. Um, so, see, yeah, seeing that match with Generico was just freaking incredible. Um, uh, number three on the list, we got Will Ospreay. Uh, no surprise there. He was on the list uh, five out of ten years, won it four times. So, yeah, winning it four out of the five that he was on there. And uh, number four, we got Pac, a.k.a. Neville. Number five, Ray Phoenix. Number six, Mascara Dorada, a.k.a. Grand Metallique. Number seven, we got Matt Seidel, a.k.a. Evan Bourne. Number eight, Dragon Lee. Number nine, 
uh, Generico slash Sami Zayn, and number 10, La Sombra, also known as Andrade. And almost literally that. Yeah, you're breaking up. Say that one more time. I said almost every single guy on that list over the past decade, you can find their work on New Japan World because almost every single one of them um, spent time in, in Japan, you know, worked the best of Super Juniors, like held the IWGP Junior title. Like it's pretty crazy how like New Japan influenced that list is. Yeah, and if you look at the, the full list, you know, the full top 20, there's more guys, you know, obviously uh, number 11, Prince Devitt, 12, Hiromu. Number 13, Voldor Jr. At 15, Kushida. 16, ACH. Uh, Jeez. Number 18, Teton. Uh, so, so many of these guys have been in Best of Super Juniors, been in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And like, yeah, like you said, you can find their stuff on New Japan World. And then um, the last two. So the best matches. Um, now, what what's this best matches award? Just So, yeah. So this is how many times... Each guy has had a match of the year placings. Um, so number one is Kazuchika Okada. He's had 22 match of the year placements, and he's won match of the year four times. Um, number two, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 19 match of the year placements, won it three times. Kenny Omega, 16 match of the year placements, won it two times. Kota Ibushi, um, 16 match of the year placements, won it one time. Uh, Tomohiro Ishii on number five. He's had 12 match of the year placements, but has not won an overall match of the year. That's insane. And again, that goes to the argument that I made that you look at Okada's body of work over the decade in just an eight year period compared to Tanahashi's 10 year period. And I kind of rest my case. I think Okada is the wrestler of the decade based on that. Yeah, clearly more match of the year placements, more match of the year wins. I'm sure Tanahashi was in some of those matches that he won. But again, yeah, when you look at the most outstanding and this match of the year, it kind of makes you lean more towards Okada kind of being the wrestler of the decade. And then um, the last uh, category, best TV announcer of the decade, Kevin Kelly. Yeah, so Kevin Kelly was on the list all 10 years of the past decade, and he won twice. Obviously, at the beginning part of the decade, a lot of his work was done in Ring of Honor, and then he started uh, doing work in New Japan Pro Wrestling, doing the English commentary, and uh, Kevin has been great. Um, love him in Ring of Honor and love him in New Japan right now, and he's done so much in um, you know, the Western expansion and getting translated stuff and getting English-based programs, you know, The Wire and The Recount on YouTube and just his work, you know, so many incredible calls that he's had since he's been, you know, doing New Japan. I mean, the only thing that's left for Kevin to do, he's done it all, seen it all. The only thing that's left for him is to come on to keeping it strong style, quit playing games. It's time to run it. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, hopefully down. Kevin Kelly, come on down. (laughs) The winner is you. (laughs) Down the road. We hopefully have uh, Kevin on, uh, also, some other kind of former English New Japan commentaries. At number three, we have uh, Maru Nalo on the list seven years in a row. Uh, Jim Ross on the list six years in a row. Uh, trying to see if there's any. Uh, Don Callis, number 13, was on the list uh, three years in a row. No Josh Barnett. Uh, Barnett was uh, number 20. Wow. Uh, three years in a row. Chris Charlton, number 21, uh, two years in a row. What about um, Steve Carino? Uh, Steve Carino, number eleven. I skipped over him. He was number eleven on the list on the on the wow. list four out of ten years of the decade. Yeah, I, well, I, I loved Carino on commentary also. 
Man, that's pretty great. Well, uh, we got the questions coming up here. Um, before we move to the questions, um, any final thoughts on these uh, decade awards? Overall, I mean, it's been a great decade for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Also, you can see here with the amount of awards they won and placed in. And, uh, you know, I'm looking forward for another great 10 years. Any um, Before we get to the questions, I just want to ask you, because I haven't seen you all week, man. I miss you. <laughs> and no, it's social uh, distancing. Um. What have you been up to, man? Like, what are, you, what are you doing? What are you watching? Have you been doing anything cool? Any cool viewings? Like, what's occupying your time? Obviously, you've got a lot of free time now. Yeah, so um, past week, I watched the Stardom Cinderella Tournament, which I correctly predicted that uh, Julia would win the tournament. So uh, that was fun. Uh, watched the uh, the Dragon Gate um, No Arena show. Um that was interesting. It was, it was a little bit hard to get into just because I don't really know a lot of the Dragon Gate guys or really know what's going on. It was English commentary with uh, Larry David, uh, Larry Dallas, and um, so. But I think I could get into it more if there was a crowd. It was just a little bit hard to focus with no crowd, and not really know what's going on. It was cool seeing Ultimo Dragon though, and um, he, he was still killing it. Uh, yeah. But also, then I've I've dived into Walking the King's Road. Which is a oh, I love that series. Uh, YouTube series um, by uh, his Twitter handle is at Joseph Weirdness. I forget his um, his last name, but that's his Twitter handle at Joseph Weirdness. He does this YouTube series diving into all Japan pro wrestling in you know the era of Kings Road, and you know I really don't know a whole lot about Kings Road. I mean, obviously I know about the four pillars and I hear about stuff. You know, Meltering talks about stuff. You and Chris Bryan and Zach and Jamie, you guys talking about stuff. And so, you know, Rich has been doing, um, you know, watching a ton of Kobashi and, you know, sending us clips of him doing translations and doing commentary on the matches. And that's been hilarious. And, you know, Zach sent in the uh, the Walking the King of Road link in there. And so, you know, obviously had a lot of time. So, yeah, watch that this weekend. Watch all eight episodes, binged it, and learned all about uh, Masawa and Jumbo and Tenryu and... Kawada and oh my god just hearing you say the name is like, <laughs> it's, it, like there's been times where like in the past where you were less familiar with them and you like didn't even know the names and you're like I don't know who Tenryu is now like look at you man <laughs> yeah so yo, proud uh, Terry Gordy and Stan Hansen and Dr. Def D. Williams and bro stop you're gonna give me a heart <laughs> you know the triple crown championships the real world tag league and just all this stuff man so yeah that guy does a gr- an excellent job of his um essay series on YouTube and explaining the history, the key matches and telling the whole story of, you know, Jumbo and Tenryu and the, the rise of Masada coming in as Tiger Mask and then ripping the yes. mask off in the match and yes. um, the rise of Masawa and, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, the series is incredible. Um, so I definitely recommend that you guys check out, it's called I'm, Walking the King's Road. I, I've checked out some of it. I'm going to binge that tomorrow when I'm working just because, but, uh, yeah, man, I all Japan '90s and going into the even you know what even when Noah started and uh, they had to keep going in in like 2000 2001. I still love that period of of all Japan as well. Like that's the whole reason why I'm freaking out about this idea of NXT Japan like swallowing them up or co opting them. Like I I really hate that idea, and uh, hopefully that's kind of giving you a, a small little sliver of taste of why that's so problematic to me, but yeah, I love that era of, of pro wrestling. I mean, you know, there's a time where like, <laughs> you, 
you know, and, and Rich can kind of attest to this, you know, people, I remember like all the guys on like Death Valley driver video review who'd talk about like that. They hated like Shawn Michaels. And I, I definitely don't uh, stamp off on that idea, but they would, they would compare him to like Mizawa and Kobashi and Kawada and, you know, and the juniors in new Japan and they'd just be like, this guy's not at the same level. And to me, that don't like, I remember reading stuff like that and just thinking these, these pro nerds are idiots. <laughs> like they have no idea. Like how can they speak about the greatness that is Shawn Michaels? But then I'd go and watch it and I'd be like, this is different. <laughs> this, this all Japan 90 stuff hits different, man. Yeah. And if obviously you're listening to this podcast, you're a New Japan Pro Wrestling fan. I definitely think it's great to watch this series because it kind of you see kind of where the modern New Japan style kind of comes from. A the, lot. The of, modern New Japan style is King's Road almost. It's not. We call it strong style, but the reality is it's, it's King, not actually strong style. It's, it's actually King's Road style. Yeah, a lot of the storytelling, a lot of the moves, you know, it all kind of it's. It's pretty much the format of modern New Japan. And seeing a lot of, you know, the Kawada kicks, obviously, you know, Tai Chi uses that, and a lot of, like, the back elbows and the suplexes and the chops and lariats, a lot of that stuff, you see guys today in New Japan who are influenced by those guys. So it's kind of even cool to watch. Oh, so that's where that move comes from. Yeah. 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 I uh, haven't been watching as much wrestling as you, but this past weekend I did a little, a little binge. I went back into some of those ROH shows. I watched uh, Generico and Steen uh, final battle, the ladder war match. Nice. My God. <laughs> I watched uh, Kenta and Brian Danielson from um, Glory by Honor, I think it was. Yes. Night, yeah. night one. Just one of the best. That match was incredible. Um, and keep in mind, I watched these matches with my girlfriend, and she never even watched Ring of Honor before. And she's like, wow, this is like great like this wrestling is great and i'm like yeah (laughs) (laughs) and uh we watched something i don't know we we've just been uh we were binging like a lot of like ring of honors oh i showed her joe kabashi oh my god freaking love that match yeah it's one of my it's my favorite ring of honor match of all time so kind of got into some of that stuff also uh we did a deep dive on some of the shittiest wrestling matches of all time and i we kept to strictly WCW and WWF, but I mean, we watched like the, the human torch match, the <laughs> San Francisco 49ers match, the dog kennel from hell, the, uh, the hardcore nightgown match, the, um, steel cage mat- barbed wire, uh, first blood match between Hogan and flair where they both bled and they didn't stop the match. So it didn't make any sense at all. Uh, <laughs> Like we we literally have just been watching. Uh, we watched the Alliance to end Hulkamania. Just like literally, um, some of the shittiest like stipulation matches from like the history. We watched the Chamber of Horrors match. Ugh, just so that stuff's so great because it's so bad. <laughs> yeah, you gotta love you know some some crappy wrestling. It's like so bad, it's hilarious. That's what we, yeah. So we got into that this week. So we we kind of bounced out with some of the best wrestling and then some of the uh, the worst wrestling. It's been pretty cool. Nice and uh, one uh, non wrestling rated thing, which I think we both watched, was uh, oh god, oh god, <laughs> Tiger King, Joe Exotic, yeah, Joe Exotic. <laughs> oh my god, he's the hero. He's the hero that nobody knew we wanted, but he's the hero we needed. This man has unified a country in its most <laughs> dire time. Oh my gosh! And obviously, we got a lot of uh, shots here in our home city, Tampa, Florida, with uh, the big cat rescue. Yeah, I'll tell you what. That 
that whole that's a double cross that's a wrestling storyline they double crossed exotic joe they double crossed that man i'm not saying i'm not saying he wasn't a heel but he got they double crossed him they set him up like if you guys haven't seen tiger king you gotta watch tiger king i swear to yeah, god you like, ha- you got yeah check it out on turn on off Netflix. this podcast come back after you've watched that and no, then continue the no, rest no, of this no, no, episode no, f- finish finish this episode <laughs> 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 then, then go watch tiger king oh um, my god yeah, let's uh, jump into these questions here from our listeners. Thank you guys for continuing to send in your questions every week. With there being no, um, no New Japan content live in ring action to talk about. So, first question comes from a Twitter follower at MadNutter0102. With the Olympics now postponed until 2021, will next year's G1 again be held in the autumn? <sighs> Ah, uh, that is definitely the question. Um, you know, you know I. Oh, god. Yeah, the second question is pretty similar too, so we'll we'll tie that in too. It's from Reddit user PSAN91. With the Olympics rumored start date being the twenty third of July, twenty twenty one, do you think that means we'll get another autumn G one next year? Also, in twenty twenty two, do you think the G one will move back to the summer, or if the autumn time slot does well, do you think the autumn G ones become a thing going forward? Well, I'll I'll say this. I think that um, it definitely creates a conundrum for uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, but it might be advantageous all the same. What I mean by that is this. We don't know when New Japan is going to be able to come back. I am praying to God that by the time, you know, the summertime comes around, this COVID-19, you know, uh, pandemic will have been uh, handled and we'll be back to live wrestling. And at that point, most of the buildings that New Japan Pro Wrestling would have traditionally ran this year, obviously, were being um, used for the Olympics. And that's what caused them to postpone and push back. And now it might create an opportunity where they get to still continue and do the, uh, the G1. And hypothetically speaking, if they haven't had regular storylines throughout the year and that falls around the same time that they make their return, it might work out perfectly. And I'm not saying this, that we know this is going to happen, but it might work out perfectly to where they can kind of kick things back off with the G1, which might be advantageous. Um, And then maybe they can revert to the following year doing the late season G1 that they plan to do this year. Um, I hope it works out that way, but I don't know if it will. There's probably a lot of moving parts and just depends on, what ends up happening with this situation plus, you know, all the, the building, um, you know, uh, situations as well. Right. Yeah, there's a lot of different, obviously a lot of logistics of buildings and scheduling and stuff like that. And also, you know, there's Russell dynasty at the end of August there that could probably potentially hold them off from doing a G one in August this year and kind of pushing back. So we'll kind of see what happens with the schedule there, but. And who knows, they might end up doing it to, they might end up doing two late G1s. Right. Yeah, next year they might, if this if they end up doing it in autumn this year and does well, they might do it again the following year. And then who knows, maybe if that's better business, maybe they, they do switch it for 2022 and going, going forward. It's a possibility. That would, if they did do that, it might solve some of those logistic issues of having to kind of have that whole waiting period for the four months between or, or five, or however many it is, it's like four or five months between G1 Final and Wrestle Kingdom. And if you, we've talked about this in the past, like if they did the G1 later in the year, we just never thought they'd actually end up 
having to need to do it or actually deciding to do it on their own. But I think it really comes down to business. Like you mentioned, if it ends up being a better like business draw to do a later uh, G1 in the year, then it might make all the sense in the world. But at the same time, you know, this is a traditional Japanese company. The history of this uh, tournament going back to 1991 is to do it in the summertime months. That's always been what they've done. And I would be kind of surprised if they shied away from keeping with that tradition long term. Right. So, yeah, we'll be interesting to see what they, they end up doing. Uh, next question from Reddit user Highest Fly Flow. Did you guys watch that match between Sasaki and Kobashi? This is also, I vote for Josh's, Josh's match card. I dig Jeremy's resolution, resolution name, though. Oh, I thought it was restitution. It was I said mine. It was he. He wrote restitution, but I said the name I had was resolution. I like his name, restitution. That's better <laughs> than resolution. Uh, um. Also, thank you for the vote of confidence, highest fly flow. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, he knows what's up. But um, I I've seen the Kobashi Sasuke match like. I don't know, 10, 15 times in my lifetime. Like it's one of my favorite matches of all time. So um, I've seen it a million times. Did you end up getting a chance to check that out? I have not seen it yet. God, you got to watch that. Just ask Rich. (laughs) 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 Ask Rich, ask Zach. Like it's, it's a, it's an all time great. Yeah. I think my next, uh, you know, viewing binges will be, you know, pulling that rich ladder, watching the, uh, the nine hour, uh, Kabashi video with all, all the great Kabashi matches on there. Yeah. Uh, next question from Reddit user Asai Yojimbo. What do you guys think of Big Mouth Loud? Love Big Mouth Loud. Love it. So I know this is a was a Japanese promotion, right? In the early two thousands. Yeah. So so basically the deal was, um, and forgive me if anybody's listening and I get the the history wrong on this because I'm kind of pulling it up off the top of my head, but basically the way I remember it, this occurred when, um, when, uh, Shibata left, you know, we talked about, uh, in the past Shibata leaving the company, doing his own thing. He left with Murakami, uh, Kazunari Murakami, and they kind of co-founded Big Mouth Loud. And the idea of this promotion, as I remember it was that it, it was supposed to be a, true like um true strong style basically but it ended up sort of being like a a a promotion that instituted a lot of cross promotional matches it was almost akin to how do i describe it sort of like uh rev pro how rev pro was a few years back where they were the big the big time independent company that did big matches from guys all across the world that's sort of like what Big Mouth Loud was, but for the Japanese scene. So you'd see guys from like All Japan and Noah and um, Zero One and, you know, Big Japan, things like that. They would all, uh, you know, even New Japan sometimes, if I remember correctly. Um, they didn't last long um, for various reasons, but that's sort of the thing. Like when they when uh, Shibata left, he left to form Big Mouth Loud and um, – it's sort of like this little footnote on the history of Purezu. It's not the most successful or, or renowned company ever, but man, they had some bangers in that company. I, I love Big Mouth Loud. So I don't have to uh, check that out. I'm sure we can probably find some of that stuff maybe on Daily Motion. Probably. It's there's it's out there. 
Uh, next question from Reddit user T Flares: How would you shake up the factions? Which one would you change its members? Which would you dissolve? And what new ones would you build? Well, T Flares, this is is a question that we've gotten many times, and it's one of the uh, questions that I uh, always despair about because I'm always just like, it's sort of like last week's card. Like I'm bad at fantasy <laughs> booking, <laughs> uh, and I don't I don't like to do things I'm not good at, but. Uh, I think we've, I think we uh, have gotten this question enough times to where we sort of have like our answers to some degree. I mean, what what would you change? Yeah, I don't remember what I've said in the past, but I when I saw this question, I've been thinking about it. Honestly, I think the first thing I would do is um, so this happened in Stardom last year, where you had um, a match with like all the captain, all the leaders of the factions, and then. I forget if it was like elimination or fatal four, what style of match it was, but the the losing leader, his faction, her faction had to dissolve. So I would do um, a, Dragon Gate does that a lot too. Yeah, so I would do a match like that where you, you have Okada, Chaos, Jay White, Bullet Club, Suzuki, Suzuki Goon, and Naito, Lij, some kind of fatal four way match. And I would have a faction dissolve, and I think the one faction out of those four that I would dissolve is Chaos. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. I and, mean, and then from the remnants of Chaos, I would then that you can form some new factions out of those guys that are kind of being forced to break away. I, I really like that idea. Um, I don't know if it's if it fits in the booking philosophy and style that Gato has employed up to this point, but I mean that would be a great way to shake things up, and that would give a very logical storyline reason for why Chaos has to break up at this point, right? And and, and it avoids you having to do a, a heel turn and have like you know Goto or Ishi, you know, somebody like turn on Okada. Like you can just do they don't they don't want to break up but due to the rules of the match and the governing of the IWGP chaos has to dissolve my my only concerns with that is this um a couple things i'm a big fan of the double crosses and the heel turns i like those sorts of things happening because then that facilitates star star making um you know situations you know ie look at the situation with chaos and um, Jay White, you know, so that can be something that's advantageous. But I like both ideas. The other thing too is like, okay, they make you break up. You're not boys anymore, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, like how are they going to stop you from being boys? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I don't know. I, well, I think I, it works better in the context of some other companies than this one, maybe. Yeah. Well, I think that's what you were. You would have guys kind of form their own factions. And so, you know, okay. in, in the past, we've talked about, like, an, an L.A. faction with, like, Goto and the Young Lions and Shibata kind of being, you know, the, the quote-unquote manager kind of role, almost kind of like the Gato kind of role of that group. And so that would be kind of cool. You have Goto kind of doing that, and Goto's kind of leading the young li- those L.A. Dojo Young Lions, and he has that kind of faction. Um, and then you could do something else. You know, maybe you do something with Ishii or some of the other guys that are in chaos, and they kind of – do like Rapungi 3K and Rocky, like maybe they're they're their own little faction, and you have these guys kind of that, doing, doing their own little things. That was going to be my only caveat. Is like you know you force cast to break up. They're already basically Hantai at this point. So w- what compelling stories and and things of that nature do you have going forward if they're just for 
that's not necessarily organic. It's, it's sort of like a shot in the arm. But if you have some of those ideas that you just implemented, then I wouldn't be so opposed to it. Um, on my end, as far as like shaking up the factions, I like the idea of how like in the past they've done things like the way they broke up Rise and the way they created, um, you know, or, you know, and broke up like GBH and created chaos and things of that nature or the formation of the Bullet Club. I like those sorts of things. Um, I would love if like a new faction just formed on its own, you know, maybe some of these young lines that are returning from excursion, you know, you, you take a look at like um, Oka or, you know, um, Kawato and traditionally, especially given the past four or five years, we're always wondering like, well, when they come back, whose team are they joining? What's to say one of those guys comes back and doesn't completely shake things up and form his own faction I think that's a cool idea. Yeah, I like that. Idea. I also like the idea of there. I also like the idea of there being infighting in different. Like, I I see potential issues along the way for Kenta and Jay White. Yeah, as far more as, so. Yeah, and I was gonna say that like, one of the people I'd like to see kind of leave a faction down the line would be Jay White. Um, I think there's definitely a babyface run down the line of him. I think there's money as him as a babyface, and so I think eventually him getting kind of ousted out of Bullet Club would be kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I would love something to happen there. I just can't imagine those two guys coexisting forever, especially with the ego that both of them have. Uh, that's And they don't seem to – they don't have issues per se on paper, but they don't seem to have that bond that you're used to seeing with, like, say, Carl Anderson and, and um, you know, AJ Styles or – with Devitt or like Kenny Omega and the Bucks, that sort of thing. So um, I think that's, that's definitely an avenue you could go down. I still think that there's something in the works long-term for LIJ. I don't think LIJ will ever stop existing because of the uh, popularity and the importance it means as far as like uh, from a financial perspective, but they've got to break up some of those guys and get some of them out of the, out of the group um, in the near future. So um you know, those are just some broad ideas. I'm, I, I, I don't know if I would, com- if I were to dissolve a group entirely, it would probably be chaos because I just don't know how popular they are as far as like merch and everything of that nature. And they, they, they don't really facilitate a role at this point, especially with how intermingled they are with, uh, you know, like I said, Hantai or, you know, uh, the Sekigun army. So, but I just don't know. I'm not good at the whole, booking future things plus there's always the old adage guys talking about you know saber goon guys talking about tai chi goon so there's that too so who knows right also we saw you know kojima kojima kun kind of being ousted to become suzuki goon so you could have something similar obviously with uh, saber or tai chi in that kind of role so well there it's funny um i was listening to another podcast and they brought up like how you know kojima was always evil but he was sort of like like a neutral evil sort of thing. And the guys that he had under his wing were like much more chaotic evil. And so it ended up being that they were like way too dark to stay under his like uh, leadership. And they ended up, you know, going with Suzuki and that kind of like made sense for the story that they were telling. Um, I think right now, the closest thing we have to that is there does seem to, there just feels like there's a lot of friction under the surface in LIJ. Yeah. Just because there's too many stars. 
Yeah, and we've talked about potentials of, you know, Evil and Sonata kind of breaking off this year and they've before the even break, even Shingo. Yeah. You know, before the break they're definitely telling a story of both Evil and Sonata kind of being on the losing end of things. Um so there could have been some tensions that could have built there and they could have potentially faced off against each other in the New Japan Cup as well. So I definitely think they were playing some seeds down the line for one of those two guys to kind of split off. Maybe even both yeah. of them. Uh, th- great question. Uh, next question comes from Certain Gap Four. He said, "With how Stardom implemented empty arena shows and YouTube live streaming into their product with positive reception, do you think NJPW is dropping the ball by not doing empty Cork and Hall events as well? Do you think Bushi Road should try and do smaller NJPW shows to keep brand interest up for the promotion, or do you feel like they're making the correct decision and playing it safe and letting the wrestlers heal for the time being?" Sorry if this question was asked before. Yeah, so I think that New Japan is making the right call right now by not running empty arena shows. Yeah, and and like they've they've said it. Um, it was reported in the Observer. Like a lot of the New Japan officials, they they want to protect the wrestlers. They want to protect the fans, and so they just think it'd be just better to just not um, run. And also, you know. Hats off to all the promotions who have been doing empty arena shows and have been trying to continue to put out content out there for us wrestling fans. But, um, I mean, at some point, it, you kind of get limited on who you can use based on which country you're in and what exactly you can do on these empty arena shows and just the energy and getting some, you know, momentum behind these shows. And um, I don't know, like, after a while, like, it kind of just doesn't look great and you're kind of killing your storyline so to speak and not getting a lot of momentum off of these empty arena shows yeah i mean if they did like a smaller cork and hall show let's say for instance it would probably be very uh similar to in tone and style to like a road to show or even maybe some of those like lines project shows that they used to do back in the day and um i just i'm not a big fan of it obviously you know, a lot of these smaller companies have been running shows because they've needed to out of necessity. And now with what, what we've seen is that, you know, the whole idea that like the COVID outbreak was being contained and things were, uh, you know, handled, that's proving to not necessarily be the case. And it's still, you know, a little too early to be taking that sort of risk. Um, You know, New Japan obviously was one of the last companies out of all the Japanese companies uh, for wrestling to stop doing shows, they did it at the very last minute. But since then they have shown no, no indication that they're going to start doing shows again. And it's partly because like they draw big crowds. They rely on those big crowds. They don't want to put the fans in danger. They don't want to put the performers in danger. And I think they're handling it probably the best of any of the Japanese companies that are out there. Part of it is because from a financial perspective, they're one of the only companies that can afford to be able to do that. This is definitely hurting business, but they're, they don't need to run in the sense that they'll go out of business in the next month or so. If they don't run as, as you know, whereas some of these other companies have had to, because they need to, you know, don't have a choice almost. And now the choice being taken away from those companies. So at this point, I don't even, I don't think it's a good idea for anybody. I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's bad commercially, um, I, I was kind of hesitant about the, uh, together project that they're doing, but ultimately it's 
probably the best thing they can be doing without putting people at risk, honestly. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with, with the, the stardom stuff, uh, I'll see with Bushi Road kind of being over stardom, there is kind of a different department of Bushi Road that kind of runs stardom. It's not all the same people that are running both promotions. And, you know, we've seen the stardom wrestlers come out and say, like, I believe it was Hannah Kimura. There was a show that was scheduled, I believe, this past weekend, and Hannah Kimura was kind of the one of the girls that spoke up to management and was like, I don't want to, we shouldn't be running shows. Um, so you're having situations now where the, where the wrestlers are, are being forced in an uncomfortable comfortable position and having to, you know, pull out and talk to management and not, but not running these shows, and Stardom did end up canceling that show. Um, well, it's just like this. It's like, you know... Um and this is not fear mongering. It's just a reality. It's like, from what we know from a public perspective about COVID-19 is like, yes, for people that are, you know, healthy and fit and of a certain age, like less than 5% of the confirmed cases where people have, um, you know, serious illnesses, less than 5% of those are people who don't have underlying diseases. You know, almost everyone that's being affected super negatively um, or even, you know, unfortunately dying, there are underlying diseases that are causing those things um, or even old age, things of that na- nature, just things that compromise them. So it, there is a small, you know, th- you might look at it and say it's a small risk, but there are people out there who are young, who are fit, who are perfectly healthy. And for whatever reason, they're being affected very negatively by this, you know, um, it's attacking their, you know, respiratory system and you know if you're a wrestler you need to be able to breathe you need to be able to perform and i mean um the last thing you want as a performer is if this is your livelihood and passion what you want to do why take that risk if something happens to you where long term you can't wrestle anymore you know what i mean right and sure sure they always take that risk when they're wrestling but this is something beyond that and not only just that but it's like Okay, maybe they. What if they contract it unknowingly? They're totally fine, but they have their friends, their family, their loved ones, their coworkers, whoever they come in contact with. You know, we want to stop. The thing is, we need to stop the spread of this disease. And the only way to do that is right now. There's not treatment. There's not a vaccine. The social distancing aspect is the best thing we can do. And I think it's. Uh, I think it's pretty dangerous what's happening in the States, honestly. Uh, we, uh, just follow what's going on with WWE in um, with WrestleMania and everything like that, Roman Reigns and, you know, that whole fiasco. And even AEW, I don't think these companies should be running shows, personally. Like, I just, at this point, given what's happening, like, um, I saw we had Twitter followers who were talking about, like, family members and loved ones who have died from this. I, I uh, have someone just through proximity who is probably going to pass away uh, from this disease. So it's, it's a serious, serious thing. And um, yeah, I, I just don't think people should be running shows right now. Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest sports in the world, you know, March Madness, NBA, M- MLB, all these bigger, you know, sports companies here in America have shut down and postponed and canceled. And as much as also we love wrestling, I, I mean, I, I would rather the wrestlers be safe and their health be number one um, and be able to continue to wrestle and, and not risk that. Um, but, at Fully same, agreed. but at the same time, I, I know on their side, they, they got TV contracts and they don't want to lose momentum kind of stuff like that. So I, I, can, I can understand it, but I don't know. 
I think it might be safer just to hold off for a little bit. Well, we had a series of questions here um, from Brian James Interactive. Uh, he said, if a show like MSG is canceled, do you think New Japan can bear any of the brunt of the cost of the venue with them not having such strong connections as they likely do the venues in Japan? Do you think a fully a full social distanced wrestling match between um, Kenny or Bushi where nobody actually touches each other but are still doing moves to one another and selling from two uh, meters apart? Um, or no, I don't know. He put 2M, whatever that is. I'm not good with uh, – <laughs> Two and the part would finally uh, send Jim Cornette over the top into insanity. Um, so if if MSG gets canceled, I don't. I know a lot of you know, the buildings. You know, obviously we had this whole situation here in Tampa of WrestleMania week with shows kind of holding out and waiting for the government to shut things down so they can get their insurance back. So I'm not sure kind of like what the contract is or what the insurance deal is there, but I'm sure there's some kind of contract or something with the insurance policy that if the government shut this down that new japan would get their money back i don't know that 100 percent, but i'm sure there would be some kind of deal like that probably uh possibly but there's also the the matter of fact that msg is one of the most expensive buildings to run in the entire country and if they were liable that would be extremely problematic for new japan and uh, i think he brings up some good points there uh as far as the kenny versus Ibushi match where nobody actually touches each other. Um, I'm fine with there. There's been matches in new Japan. Um, tai Chi against, I believe it was Kanemaru comes to mind from best super juniors where they tried to do a match where they didn't touch for almost the entire time. <laughs> um, there was a six man tag where it was like everybody from bullet club and the elite during a G1 final two years ago where they did something similar. Yeah. I remember that then, match. Yeah. So I mean I'm fine with that, but if it's a if it's a match where they're selling moves where they're not connecting with each other, I am not a fan of that. And I you don't mean, have to worry about Jim Cornette going over the edge into insanity. I will go over the edge. Did into you see the insanity. clips of the social distance match from GCW with um, Joey Janela versus Jimmy Lloyd, where they were doing that? Like no, they were like sell, they were like doing moves like six feet apart, but like selling it. So like they would like jump and flip, and the one guy would like sell a destroyer and sell a suplex. And... No, I didn't. I didn't see that, and I won't watch that. <laughs> I also have heard stories about guys in GCW like spitting into each other's mouths and stuff like that. So, not a fan. <laughs> uh, his next question: He says, "New Japan has been working extensively on getting content up during this period, including old stuff. Something I really miss from New J- NJPW World's 90s slash early 2000s content are the amazing dome entrances. Do you think this could be a cool addition? I realize music has copyright difficulties, perhaps. Yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I hate that aspect of New Japan World, especially when it comes to the dome shows. You look at some really fantastic matches. Uh, one that comes to mind just off the top of my head is like Chono against uh, Onita. <laughs> in their death match and it's like two of the best entrances ever in dome history and you can't find it on new japan world and i get it because it is due to copyright laws but you know i'm not i'm also not a fan of this answer but it's something that wwe does is they just filter in their own music and it does kind of kill things like you you watch sandman's entrance at ecw one night stand and without them playing sandman not exactly the same thing but at least you get to experience the entrance. So uh, that does kind of suck. But, you know, I don't know. Some people would probably hate the the if they filtered in 
house music, but uh, yeah, it's it's it's, uh, it's a lose lose situation. Either you get no entrances, or you get the the entrance with the dub music, or you yeah. get or you get the copyright infringement. Uh, this music's been you know silent because of copyright, and you get you get an empty, that, a, a quiet entrance. Uh, next question: New Japan has been working extensively. Oh no, you already answered that. <laughs> uh, non New Japan question. Did you guys see the new documentary on the great Sasuke? Uh, if so, any thoughts? And that's, uh, he gave us the link on YouTube. I have not seen it. I will definitely watch it. I wouldn't even say that's non new Japan because great Sasuke spent a good deal of time in new Japan, even though he was like a Michinoku pro guy and all that, but still, um, I will definitely check that out. Yeah. I have not watched it either. I will add it to uh, my watch later queue on YouTube and check it out probably this week or this weekend. And his last part of his question, he said, which... Uh, he also... oh, go ahead. Oh, I was going to read the question. You go ahead, man. <laughs> uh, so he says, uh, which strange slash relic match have you dug up on YouTube while spending hours in isolations last week? For me, it was Masawa in Kabashi's final uh, bout in 2004, No, no Awful Gift in D- Differ 2004, and their infamous 2003 match, and it was surprisingly bad. Yeah, I think that uh, Dave gave that match like three and a quarter, three and a half. Uh, I wouldn't call it bad, but you look at how legendary a feud those guys had, and it's it doesn't live up, and it's not really that surprising given given the fact that Mizawa was deteriorating, um, you know, at that point in time. So uh, not too surprising. I I don't know if I've found too many strange relic matches. I mean, like I mentioned earlier in the show, I watched uh, a ton of really really shitty uh, <laughs> wrestling matches from uh, WWF and WCW. I think the, the strangest one out of all of them there, I mean, they were all bad, but the strangest one was um, Booker T against uh, (laughs) Jeff Jarrett from uh, WCW (laughs) uh, Nitro 2000. And it was the San Francisco 49ers match. Keep in mind, they're not in San Francisco when they do this match. And it has nothing to do with the actual football team, the 49ers. What, the reason they called it a 49ers match is because they were looking for gold. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole point of the match was that there, there was four boxes on holes in each corner of the room. And they had to like go to each corner and um, pull down a box. And if they found the world title, they won. And the very first move of the match, one of the boxes falls down and breaks. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. <laughs> it's, it is a terrible 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 match so yeah yeah i can't i haven't really found anything strange or any relics really like i mentioned though oh watching that walking the king i'll tell you one i watched the murakami versus tanahashi uh konami uh what was the match called it was the uh konami cage death match in an empty arena and it is bad it's. I've always wanted to watch that match. I've never been able to find it. They finally uploaded it, and um, that match would fit right in with any of those shitty matches I mentioned from WWF or WCW. Like, it is bad. I mean, I'm talking really bad. There's. They're just in a uh, studio. There's no. It's basically like a precursor to what we're seeing here in the states <laughs> right now, and. Um, there's just inter- they're in a cage, but people are running in and interfering, and uh, like the match ends with no like explanation for wh- like Tanahashi wins, but they don't explain why. Uh, they bleed 
at, at, at the very end of the match, they just start bleeding really, really bad, both of them, like all over the place. It, it's a mess. Like if you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. Um, it's a pretty rare match, and they finally put it up on World, so it sucks. It's, it's kind of great. <laughs> uh, one interesting thing I did watch on World yesterday was Jay White versus Kenny Omega when Jay is still a young lion. Kenny, oh, that match is great. Kenny's the IC champion. It's a NJPW versus Bullet Club show. He had just um, he had just won the belt from Tanahashi, and he had he was literally like just starting with the with his heavyweight run at that point. Yeah, and so that was kind of interesting, you know, seeing babyface Jay White going against uh, you know kind of heel Kenny Omega at the time, and also he's kind of a precursor to you know that the U.S. title match they had down the line. It, it's great because it's very similar to like you think about matches like um, Daniel Bryan against uh, Ali. Or you think about one, two, three, kid against Bret Hart matches where this young upstart is not in the same league as the champion, but they give him hell and they fight from underneath. And um, even there, there's a match in um, ROH, uh, Leo Rush against Jay Lethal when Jay Lethal was the champion. Very similar. I love that story, and they did a really, really great job of it. it it's it's probably the best uh, young lion match of Jay White's career. Mm. So, yeah. Well. I mean, in New Japan, anyways. Yeah, it was a cool match. Uh, next question here from Reddit user Hawaiian Punch BV: Did you guys see the match between Go Shiozaki and Kazuki Fujita in Noah? Which two New Japan wrestlers would you like to see start with a thirty-minute staring contest? Uh, so, good friend of the show, Chris Bryan, uh, host of Grown Men Watch This Shit, he jumped in our group chat and said that this match was match of the year. I'm going to put you on blast right now, Chris Bryan. Any match where the wrestlers don't touch for 30 minutes cannot, in my opinion, be a match of the year candidate. I have no match. I probably won't be watching this match. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be watching it either. You know, I saw, yeah, Chrissy dropped in the link. He's like, yeah, this was, you know, match of the year, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay. I might watch this tomorrow, and then I start seeing it come out like, oh, like they stared at each other for 30 minutes and didn't touch. And I saw some of the clips on Twitter of them just like standing there, staring at each other. And I'm just like, nah. It, it, if you could do a match in New Japan and you had to, two wrestlers, 30 minutes staring contest, who would you go with? Um, I guess, I don't know, Kata Tanahashi. <laughs> I would go with Miho Abe and Peter. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, and, that, and that was kind of part of uh, Zach's question. So he also asked if we saw the match and which two do you think could pull this off in New Japan? Did they pull something off? Like, maybe I need to watch this because I don't understand. Like, I, I did see a clip uh, online where um, Fujita drank a bunch of hand sanitizer and spit it all over uh, Shiozaki. And I was like, uh, nah, chief. <laughs> <laughs> But um, I don't know. I guess I'd have to watch the match to talk about people, quote-unquote, pulling it off. But if there was any any guys that were, like, that could do this, that were really, like, charismatic, maybe, like, I don't know, Suzuki and Naito, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, but, yeah, I'm not down for any match starting off just staring for 30 minutes. Nah. Rambone Slam Pig asked, are you surprised NJPW hasn't run anything while Stardom has, given that they have the same parent company now? At the rate things are going, do you think we're going to get a Best of the Super Junior this year? So, yeah, first part of that question, um, 
not completely surprised since we've kind of mentioned how stardom is kind of under the same branch of Bushi Road with the, the kickboxing company, which is different than the branch that New Japan is under. Uh, so like we mentioned, not, not all the same management. Obviously, Harold May has a big part in playing and running New Japan and um, you know, Rossi Ogawa is still running things at stardom. So clearly there's probably two different philosophies there on both sides there. And obviously New Japan wanted to keep their wrestlers. They were thinking about the wrestlers and the fans first and they didn't want to run shows where obviously stardom is still a little bit small of a show. And, um, you know, obviously they're back with Bushi Road now, but they still want to run shows with that revenue. And I'm sure the girls weren't getting paid if they weren't running shows. So I'm sure part of that probably had to do with it. So not completely surprised they didn't run. Yeah, we touched on that. Uh, appreciate the question, uh, Rambo and Slam Pig. Uh, touching on the second part of this question, um, I got to tell you, I think that there's a good chance we don't wind up getting a best of the Super Juniors this year. Uh, if we do, though, I've got two scenarios that I think could possibly happen. Uh, one, I think if we wind up getting it, I think it's going to be from a logis- logistics standpoint almost impossible to have international talent. So two things they could do one, they could, I don't think they're going to end up running a reduced tour because they still got to draw that tour, especially given the financial circumstances of not running for, for a good part of the year. So let's say hypothetically they're allowed to run again. Right. And they're allowed to run all the dates that they would have ran. They might end up doing a, one of two things. Maybe they run, the tournament for the same amount of t- dates, but with a smaller field and maybe they, they maybe a single block tournament or something like that. And they, they fill in the rest of the tour, not just with like the, typically what they do is they do the tournament matches and then the guys who are not in the tournament wrestle in tag team matches along the way. What they could end up doing is they could do the tournament with the limited roster and then, fill in the rest of that with actual big feud matches and storylines that are uh, separated from the tournament itself, you know? So run your bigger names like your Okada's, your Tanahashi's and people like that and actually have um, storylines that are going into the uh, uh, best super junior finals. Or the other thing they could do is they could reach out if, if needed they could reach out to domestic talent that haven't been uh, featured in this tournament. Maybe guys on the independents, maybe like people from NOAA, people from all Japan. I don't know if they would do that, but if needed, they might be willing to do that in this case. And because they have a history of that, obviously um, it's just not recently. And maybe they use domestic junior talent from uh, across the country to fill out those uh, needed spots that they would have gotten from ring of honor and CMLL and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, I think that would be a great idea. Yeah, try and bring in some of these um, guys from different promotions that we're not familiar with and um, could be a great way to get those guys exposure and it might end up leading to new guys, new juniors in New Japan. Who knows? So, but yeah, it's it's looking, you know, not great for the changes of best super juniors. Obviously, countries and are still going under lockdown and uh, I know here in the U.S., you know, schools are now being pushed back to being closed till May 1st, and I think um, they're going to want us to do kind of a social distancing until the the end of April. So uh, I don't know what, how things are looking in Japan, what they're doing as far as continuing the lockdown, but uh, I don't know how – I don't know if that's Super Junior is going to happen. 
Um, absolutely. Next question from Viking Payne. He said, now that New Japan has announced the cancellation of Sakura Genesis and the Dantaku tour, do you guys think it was a mistake for them to not have an empty arena show, not for profit, but to further storylines because Gato is going to have a hell of a time fixing this mess. I think we've already touched on that, but I appreciate that question. Um, he also said, should New Japan push back the Wrestle Dynasty ticket sale date due to NYC being the epicenter of COVID-19 in America? I really think they should move the sale date back to May or even June if they still plan on doing the show. Yeah, it's interesting. So I believe tickets, the early pre-sale, I believe that's next Wednesday. I believe that those tickets go on sale. And then general, I believe it's Friday. Um, yeah, it's, it's a tough spot because obviously they, they want to get some tickets sold ahead of time there and uh, I don't know. It's it's hard. I don't know. It's a, I, don't I, know. I think he brings up a really good point. I think those are big concerns and they're not uh, invalid. But I think the biggest thing right now is just this country is facing a lot of financial hardships given the situation and uh, the idea that people are going to be keen on traveling or spending money given what's happening with people's work situations and the uncertainty of the marketplaces and people's uh, work-life situations. I don't see that being a good idea at all, um, regardless. So, yeah, I think they need to push the sale date back because with a situation like this, when you want to sell at a big show, you want to have a big first day sale and a big pre-sale. And that's not going to happen. You know, I don't like the idea of them trickling in and, um, you know, they, they announce the date and then as the date gets closer and closer, maybe the, the sales trickle, you want to have a big first day sale and that's not going to happen if they keep the date they're having. I don't think they're going to push it back. That is, that's not really new Japan style, but these are extenuating circumstances. If you're listening, if anybody from the company is listening, I'm telling you right now, push this sale date back until we have something more definite. Um, it's not a good idea. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's hard to, trying to ask people to buy tickets to a show, buy plane tickets, book hotels, Airbnbs, and not even knowing if we're, we're going to be able to be travel then and if the show's going to even happen. So Maybe, though, at the same time, they're thinking that stimulus money's coming in, and that hits kind of different. Right, that, that 1200 That 1200 <laughs> You can buy some first-row seats with that. Japan has recently announced that they were going to place a travel ban on America due to COVID-19. Do you guys think that they'll affect New Japan and its roster in any way? Um, I would just like to say yes. I think there's a good chance that it would, and it could, for the worse, it could be a huge detriment. So, again, another reason I think that they might want to push some things back. Right. Obviously, you got Will Ospreay, who's still in the UK right now, and obviously he's a big part of their promotion, so... Him not being able to travel into the country is going to be a problem, and all the other, like we mentioned, if they're trying to do best super juniors, and I'm sure originally they're planning on using ROH and CMLL and Rev Pro guys, that that's going to change that up. So yeah, it's it's going to be a problem for them. Last question, uh, he says on Jericho's latest podcast, Brody Lee went out of his way to mention New Japan a ton. He really wants to work here. You guys were pretty negative on Matt Hardy in New Japan, but what about Brody? What matches would you like to see him have, and just for fun? Rate broken Matt Hardy and Brody Lee on the Bret Hart scale. All right, so with Brody, I definitely want him to see him in New Japan. I'm all in. He's that kind of that big, um, you know, bruiser Gaijin kind of shades of you know the old kind of Gaijin mold of guys like Vader and 
Stan Hansen and uh, Terry Gordy, these kind of big, brawling white dudes that kind of come in there, throwing lariats, throwing bombs. So I think Brody Lee would definitely fit the New Japan style more than Broken Matt Hardy. Um, as far as the matches, I mean, obviously, I'd love to see him against um, Ishii, um, Okada. I mean, all the top guys, him against Osprey, um, Goto. You know, he can have a lot of... I see him in, in a never division, one of these kind of never guys, and just having these kind of crazy brawls. Big, big fan of Brody Lee. Have always been. Loved his work in uh, WWE. I always thought he was one of the more uh, underutilized guys. Um, there was a point where I thought that they needed to implement him into that uh, that uh, title match at WrestleMania in Orlando. Between, I thought that he should have got shoehorned in as a third, as a triple threat uh, with him and uh, Bray Wyatt and um, Randy Orton. If, was that the time when that was kind of happening? Yeah, that was uh, WrestleMania 33 in Orlando. Yeah. So, um, or was it, or was AJ in a title match around that time? I don't know. I can't remember. No, but, yeah, no you're right. Um, it was, it was the Bray and Orton feud where Orton joined the Wyatt family. Okay. And Harper was the one that was like, Orton's a rat. And Bray was like, nah, it's cool. And then, right. And then, yeah. And then, and then, and then he burned their freaking shed down. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of which, this past year, I wanted to do a, a jack o' lantern. With the silhouette of Randy's arms up in the air, and then <laughs> and then the flames. That was my idea. I was gonna I was gonna make that jack o' lantern. Oh my but, god! But uh, you know, <clears throat> there's actually a match I love of Brody Lee uh, against Cesaro and Chikara from years past in a, a steel cage match. You can find that on YouTube. So I, I I really love Brody Lee. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Jeremy. I think he fits so well in with the working style of Japan, and I think that he would do really well here. I'd love to see him wrestle in Japan. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys. I mean, obviously you think about your big bruising, your bruising, uh, hostile guys. You think of like Shingo, Ishii, Goto, Suzuki. Um, obviously those all come to mind, but you know, I'd like to see him wrestle Okada. Yeah. I think I I would love to see that. Especially in this point of his career where he's really trying to prove himself and prove that he is one of the top workers in the world. I think a, a match of Okada would do wonders for him. We didn't get Brody King. Give us Brody Lee. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> now he wants us to do the, the Bret Hart scale on both these guys. So Broken Matt Hardy. So look for Broken Matt. Mm, um, well, I've never thought Matt had a great look, but obviously I think with uh, with the gimmick, it adds quite a bit to his character and to his uh, overall uh, – presentation i think i would still go kind of low like six and a half okay i was thinking kind of seven but i I'm, i think i'm fine with going six and a half uh so mike uh i think matt is really good on the mic um especially given this persona and this character i would go like eight and a half i was thinking more eight uh right, let, let's go eight yeah and then so look mike work um, I don't know the work. I would just go seven, just be nice. Yeah, and then it factor. I think he's definitely got it factor. Yeah. I don't know how much that translates into it factor in Japan, but he's got it factor. But then again, it the the broken gimmick turned some people off, and other people go gaga over it. Um, where would you go with the it factor? I think I would go eight, just for the fact. I mean, he. 
the broken character has gotten him over, and he's gotten booked in so many places with that broken character. I agree. So that puts him at 29.5. I think that's pretty fair. It's pretty fair. Um, then Brody Lee, look. Um, well, he has a certain look. Um, like you mentioned, he, he fits like that big Haas bruiser type of guy. At the same time, um, you know, not the, I don't think it's the most marketable look that's out there necessarily. Um, we still have yet to, to kind of see what's going to happen with this new iteration of him as the exalted one. Uh, what are you thinking for look? I'm thinking maybe like seven and a half. Yeah, yeah that sounds good. You no, know, he's tall, but he's not really jacked. Um, yeah. But yeah, so seven and a half. Uh, so, Mike. I mean. Well, we hadn't really heard much from him before. It was just, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but now we find out that this guy is extremely articulate and a great promo. I mean, he's really good. Dude, the Vince McMahon uh, segment that they did last week was freaking yeah, I awesome. It. I I don't know. I would go maybe is eight too high? I mean, based off the last two weeks, I would go eight. I would go eight just based off what we've seen so far. It's yes, been yeah. pretty great. Yeah, I would go. But eight. I want to see him in front of a live live crowd. I want to see him with a live mic, so that still remains to be seen. Mm. Do you think we should go like seven and a half? That was my initial inclination, but I wouldn't be opposed to eight, honestly. You know, let's just go seven and a half just to we'll, – we'll dock him for the live – he hasn't done a live promo yet, so let's go seven and a half for now. Um, so look, Mike, work. His work's high. His work's high. I'd go eight. Yeah. And it factor. I don't know. Um, like seven? Yeah, let's go seven. So that puts him at 30 flat. So he's just uh, slightly above Matt. Yeah. All and, right, let's I, move on. And I think as he gets more promo time, the promo will go up. And as he gets to wrestle more, I think the work will go up too. Yeah. Just a little bear, zero one, asked us, assuming best of the Super Juniors runs this year, who do you imagine the outsiders invited to compete this year will be? And who would you love to see this year as the forbidden gate of the WWE gates were open? If the forbidden gate of the WWE gates were open. So the forbidden gate or the WWE gates. Oh, gotcha. So okay. AEW or WWE. Um, as far as outsiders that they would invite this year, just normally, obviously, I'm thinking we're I don't Jonathan know you, Gresham. Yeah, Gresham. I don't know if you can consider these guys outsiders, but like TJP, um, Amazing Red, Amazing Red, Bandito. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see a young lion. Uh, could uh, Carl Fredericks be considered? Uh, I think they would, they would probably go with Clark Connors. I think they're trying to push Fredericks as a heavyweight or Coglin. Yeah, yeah, maybe Clark Connors. I wouldn't be surprised by that. Um, uh, Mysterioso, maybe. Bandito. Uh, yeah. Uh, who else? They've got another luchador over in uh, Ring of Honor. Uh, they got Ray Horace. They got Ray, Hor- Ray Flam- Horace is the guy that. They got Flamita. Those are all possibilities. Yeah. Now, if we we're going to open the forbidding. Oh, Michael Oku. Oh yeah, from Rev Pro. Yeah, the current Rev Pro uh, cruiserweight champion. 
Uh, um, let's each pick one guy from WWE, one guy from AEW, just to play along. All right. So for opening the Forbidden Gate to AEW, I'm picking Ray Phoenix. Okay, and I'll pick uh, Darby Allen. Perfect. Uh, WWE. Um, let's see. Who would I pick from WWE? I think I would go with Leo Rush. Okay, it's not a bad one. You know, there's a part of me that wants to say Dunn. There's a part of me that wants to say Gargano. Mm. There's a part of me that wants to say Ricochet. But I'm going to go a little different. I want... Uh, oh, God. Um, freaking A. Why did I forget his name? Bait. I want Tyler Bate. Mm. Tyler Bate. <laughs> Tyler Bate. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's that's a great choice. Uh, uh, next question from Oscar Rooney says, "You have to choose one move to to be erased from existence: the lariat or the chop. What goes away?" Oscar Rooney, I I don't know. Why well, would you ask that question? Yeah, well, that's I, one of the worst questions we've ever gotten in the history of keeping a strong style. I don't know what you're going through right now, bro. But <laughs> <laughs> um, man, so if I had I would, to, I would, I would lay down my life. So that y'all don't have to live without the lariat or the chops. Come on. <laughs> All right. So if I had to choose one to go away, I think I think I'm going to get rid of the chop. I would say get rid of the chop, even though it makes no sense because it's an open hand strike, and the whole thing with wrestling is that there's not supposed to be closed fist punches. But you got a lot of options. You got punches. You got elbows. You got knees. You got headbutts. You got um, you know kicks. So I I would rather have the lariat uh, rather than the chop, but I mean that's an ugly question from from an ugly you know <laughs> I'm just joking no that that's a, that's a great question but it's like you know I it's mean, like FMK right, I, I don't want to play yeah I'm not and, trying to play that game and with the lariat I mean a lot of guys use lariats as finishers also you, it's great spots of just like knocking somebody's head off of a lariat so it's a great question yeah then uh, last question here from friend of the show. Dan Coffin, he says, did Kojima just straight up steal the machine gun chops from Kenta Kobashi or what? To the best of my recollection, the uh, machine guns were invented and originated by Kenta Kobashi. But let's be clear here. Kojima is one of the most famous practitioners of it, but there's videos online where you can find like 20 or 30 people who all use the machine gun chops. It's actually a pretty common spot in independent and uh, Japanese professional wrestling. I mean, some famous uh, practitioners of it. Um, I don't know. Uh, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I know like orange Cassidy uses this move. Uh, we haven't seen it in a long time, but like orange Cassidy uses it. Um, Takamichinoku uses it. Um, lots of guys. I mean, it's, it's a very famous spot that like everyone copies. Everyone copies Kobashi. Right, and also people kind of add their own flair to it. Like Kojima kind of adds the whole the snap mare into the, the elbow drop kind of thing that he does after it. Tozawa. Tozawa. That's right, yeah. Tozawa, yeah. Tozawa used to do it, and he's he's one of my favorite guys who's ever done it. I mean, he's another guy. Speaking of, you know, juniors to come over. Oof. <laughs> um, so, yeah, but, you know, I love, I love my boy Kojima. <laughs> Um, so that wraps up the questions for this week. Thank you guys once again for sending in your questions. Now we're going to end things here with the recommended match of the week. So first of all, young boy, what did you think about 
the phenomenal AJ Styles versus Carl Anderson? Oh, um, I thought this match was very good. Um, I was a little surprised that you recommended this match. I guess it's because they just made it available on New Japan World. Is that why? Yeah, it's part of the recent uh, NJPW Together stuff. Yeah, and I was surprised. I thought that that match was available. I thought everything from G124 was available, but I guess not. Um, and it starts off very similar to how most Bullet Club matches you know, kind of begin. Guys from similar factions. You had a... Uh, Carl Anderson laying down, telling uh, AJ, and keep in mind, they're both heels at this point in time, and he's laying down, and he tells AJ he's going to give him the win. AJ goes for the pin. He goes. Uh, Carl Anderson goes for the roll-up. They're all playing nice, nice, doing, you know, two-sweeting each other and everything like that, but once he uh, does the roll-up, you know, it, everything's kind of off. They, they go into some, some comedy spots in the beginning of the match, but once things actually heat up and get going – they really get going, and it's a it's a good little match. Um, I wouldn't call it like a classic or anything of that nature, but for people who don't who never saw Carl Anderson in his prime as a singles wrestler in New Japan Pro Wrestling, or don't understand or realize that this guy was like a former title holder, he's a former G One finalist. Believe it or not, um, if you want to get a little taste of of what he was capable of. And see a guy he can work with who has he has great chemistry with in AJ Styles. This is the match for you. Um, my me, me and my girlfriend we actually ran to Carl Anderson because uh, he lives in the area, and we were watching this a few months back, and then we were watching this match, and she was like, "Is that Carl Anderson? That guy we ran into? <laughs> you know <laughs> that OC <at> guy? <laughs> yeah." She's like, "That guy who always loses." And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "Man, he's bigger." He's pretty. He's pretty good back then. I was like, I know. That's, I've been trying to tell you this, but um, the match was good. I would go about four stars on the match. Yeah, that's about uh, AJ awesome. ends up. AJ ends up picking up the win. I mean, you can't go wrong with a four star match. It's pretty great. Yeah, but uh, I really enjoyed this match. I I liked it a lot. I didn't know why you were kind of recommending it. Uh, kind of give me the background why you what you liked about this match and why you recommended it because it, it seems so out of left field. Right, well, I was just, you know, watching content that they were uploading on, you know, NJPW World, and I love AJ Styles, I like Carl Anderson, I was like, that can't sound bad, so, clicked on it, watched it, I was like, it's a pretty great match, so, let's let's recommend it, and I know a lot of people, um, there are people out there who don't know, like you mentioned, how great Carl Anderson was in New Japan, you know, Gato has said to people, like, this is my guy, like, this is going to be my next, like, Big Gaijin, and like there's a lot of great plans for Carl Anderson. And, Carl Anderson was Raw, and yeah, people don't realize that they, they see him on Raw as you know, just say you know, a lackey for AJ, one of these you know geeks in the OC that's always taking the pinfalls. But if you look back in New Japan, and like you mentioned him G1 finalist, and just the runs that he had there, and um, yeah, he's a great performer, and it's a shame what's happened to him. Yep, I, I'd give this match uh, recommend for sure. All right, so what is so, the recommended match for this week? So I had a match in mind, and then it came to my attention just before the show started that I've recommended this match before. I don't think you've watched it necessarily, but I don't want to re-recommend it. So what I'd rather do, let's do this. You give me a year, any year from now to 1972, and I will pick a match from you just based off the year right on the spot. Uh, 1997. Oh, 1997. Okay. Give me one moment. Okay. I'm going to pick a banger for you. All right. Okay. 1997. Um, this is an easy pick for me. Uh, 
I'm going to recommend to you El Samurai versus Koji Kenimoto from Best of Super Juniors, uh, Night 17. All right. There we go, ladies and gentlemen. There's, there's our recommended match of the week. And it's one of the – it's five-star rated. Our newsletter uh, has a cage match rating of 9.26. It is one of the best junior of the decade. Nice. Well, you got me sold at uh, five stars, so looking forward to checking that out this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's going to wrap things up for this week, guys. Once again, thank you for listening. Uh, next week, we will be back with some more content. We might have another interview for you guys. It all depends on uh, people you know, answering back to me on the DM. So we'll, we'll see if we have another interview. If not, we'll definitely be back with some kind of content for you guys next week. And I'll welcome your questions uh, for the show and stuff like that. So check it out. And uh, if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. The show is at KI Strong Style, also at Social Suplex, and you can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook. We are Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. Also, you can join us in the Wrestling Square Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Square Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I'm the pro black guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. You email me, Jeremy at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have Lunch Radio, hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And Saturday, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr., Amy O., and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. We'll catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts. Ichiban. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.